Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dan Druff Wittellis. This is being recorded live and broadcasted live on October 25th, 2019. The time right now, 9.21 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And we have a free roll. We have a free roll right now that started six minutes ago. And I think you're going to want to get in there. Because it's a good free roll. It really is. It really is a free roll that you're going to want to play. But remember, in order to qualify for the free roll, you need to go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, and read the rules. Make sure that you qualify and do everything explained there which you only have to do one time and make sure everything is in order. And then you will qualify for the free money. Mr. Tickle, who's a regular listener to this show, actually lives in Russia, though he's not a Russian, strangely enough. He's a Brit living in Russia, a young guy, one of our few young listeners. He sometimes tells me I'm old and out of touch. I, I don't understand his generation, which might be true. He gave $71.63 this week which was very nice to him. This is actually a piece of me that he bought in the World Series of Poker, and this is what I've owed him for quite some time. He just never collected it from me yet. There's a few people I haven't gotten hold of yet, and he was one of them. It's funny. Every time, there's always a few people who just, it's very hard to give them the money, and I'll, I'll, like, I'll contact them and go, like, all right, I owe you money, and they go, yeah, yeah we'll get back to you. <laughs> and sometimes it, sometimes it goes the entire year, and I go, well, do you want to just roll it over to this year? And they go, yeah. I, I try to pay people. I, I really try. Uh, we've I've never had anyone that I just couldn't pay except for one person who passed away who bought a piece of me. And uh, th- his widows told us just to keep it because he really liked the show. Anyway, except for him, I've paid everybody that has been owed money from the free roll. Not the free roll. The free roll, too. But I've paid everybody that's... Well, actually, the free roll, there were some people who, who have just never collected and we've come up with a policy on what to do about that but for the world series of poker pieces i've paid every single person except for that one person who passed away and except for a few people from 2019 who still have not collected their money anyway let's get back to what i was talking about with mr tickle he donated that and our free roll this week was going to be 71 dollars and 63 cents but then something happened what do you think happened what do you think happened Something did happen. Yes! That happened! It's an Eric Benzamokin splash pot again. The prize pool was $71.63. Now it is $171.63. Thank you very much, Eric, once again, for donating to the free roll in the Eric Benzamokin splash pot. And these are characterized, much like the splash pots on... Phil Galfon's site. These just show up. They show up without warning. They're just there. They're not announced beforehand. So, extra $100 added, thanks to Eric. And the prizes are as follows. $85 for first, $45 for second, $25.63 for third, and $15 for fourth. That's $85, $45, $25, $63, $25.63, and 15 are the four prizes we are giving away this week 
on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You have until 9.40 p.m. Pacific time to get in there with a full stack because that's late registration. We're still in the late registration period. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That can be reached at 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. That is the Mount Charleston line. It's a separate phone number into the show. It's located in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. It is a real mountain near Las Vegas. It's going to start getting snow soon. Forwards to me wherever I go, an old 70s rotary telephone. I have promised a picture of myself on that phone. Just every time I go there, I forget to take it. But uh, I took one, and then I lost it, and I- I've got to do it again. But I'll get to it soon. Just got to get back there. If you want to text the show before, after, or during the show, I will respond to you, probably. The phone number is 775-372-8355, same as our main number. 775-372-8355. Make sure to mention at the beginning of your text if you don't want me to read it on the air. Unless it's super obvious, but it can never be too safe. You never know what I'm going to say otherwise. The call to listen line is a phone number that you can use to listen to the show, whether live or our streaming reruns that play when we're not live. It's very simple. It's just this phone number you call up and listen. You call up like you'd call up any other phone number. You don't need a smartphone, you don't need a data plan, you don't need the internet or a computer, none of that stuff. Just any phone that can dial in the world will work for the call to listen line and it will not use even one byte of your data. That phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, or you can call the alternate call to listen line, which works the same way. 641-741-1095. If you are forgetting these numbers... Go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, and they were, they're all listed there, every single one of them. No excuse to forget. You can catch the show in podcast form if you can't listen live. We do the live show every week, so I encourage you to listen live. And if you listen live, you can chat in the chat room, which you just access by pressing the chat button near the top of the screen. You do need a Poker Fraud Alert account validated and in good standing. But other than that, uh, you can go into the chat room during the live show and chat there. But if you're not listening to the live show, which is most of you, because the vast, vast majority of you don't listen live, you can catch the show in podcast format on various platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, which can also be used to listen live, the Bullhorn app, and Amazon Alexa. You just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And it will play the live show or the streaming reruns if we're not live. And if you want to hear the last episode we did, just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. Just throw the word podcast at the end, and it'll play the last show that we completed. You can also download the MP3 directly from the radio shows forum on PokerFraudAlert.com. Just go to the Poker Fraud Alert forum, scroll down, you'll see one called Radio Shows. Or you can just click the MP3 button on the radio page. It'll take you there, and then you just click on whatever episode you want, and your smartphone or computer should be able to play the MP3 file without any external players. It'll just play when you click on it, which is easy. It's the most direct way to listen. That's actually how I usually listen. So I think that's all the info except for the agenda. I'm going to have Trader Ruski on tonight as usual. We give you the agenda first, and then we'll add on Trader Ruski, and then we'll get going. 
I don't talk about politics much on this show. And there's a reason for that, that we have listeners from both sides of the political spectrum. And it's interesting the comments I get. I get some people messaging me saying, hey, Druff, it's nice to hear someone in poker who's conservative, who explains his viewpoints well, blah, blah, blah. And they appreciate that I think like them. And then I actually get messages from people on the left saying, you know, I disagree with everything you say politically, but I like the way you present it. You're reasonable. You're, you're a lot different than a lot of the conservatives, which I listen to, which I hate. So they uh, that's that, them saying it to me. I'm not saying I hate the conservatives. <laughs> but uh, I, I get messages from both sides, which are actually complimentary about the rare political segments we do. But still, I know that's not why you're listening. There's, there's plenty of political shows out there. And that's not what I want to do with the show. So I usually keep the political topics to myself, except once in a while at the end of the show. But this week is going to be a little bit different. This week, because there really is not a big story. There's really no huge story in poker after we had a number of them over the last two weeks. There's really nothing this week, nor is there much to update on the stories that I have covered in the last two weeks that were pretty large, especially the Apostle thing. So I'm going to talk about a story in the mainstream news which has nothing to do with poker or gambling, and that is the Katie Hill story. Katie Hill is a congresswoman in northern Los Angeles County, a very interesting, at least in my opinion, sex scandal going on. And the reason I'm choosing to talk about it on this show, besides the fact that it's a slow news week, is that it actually has something to do with this site. Yes, Poker Fraud Alert actually had involvement in this story, and I'll tell you what that is. Poker player Marguerite Spagnolo, I think that's how you say her name, Marguerite Spagnolo. she is an East Coast player who comes to Vegas about four times a year, not a very well-known player, but a poker player nonetheless, and she's been around for several years. She was on TV in New York City in a very large station called uh, WABC on a news report called Seven on Your Side because she got ripped off by the Aria and the TV station was kind of intervening and trying to figure out what happened. That's what that Seven on Your Side segment is there where they you go to them and they'll see if they can help you if you've got an issue with a company. So she called out the Aria on Seven on Your Side for supposedly cheating her out of seven comped nights where she stayed for ten nights and only got comped three and got a bill for the other seven from when she stayed back in June. Sounds pretty bad. Sounds like a nightmare for any gambler, right? I bet you have an idea whose side I'm on here and the way I'm going to cover this. But guess what? You might be surprised. The scandal-ridden Partouche Poker Tour, which everyone thought was finished because of the various major issues it had and the unethical things that went on there, uh, somehow it's being revived. So I'll, I'll give you a history of what happened with the Partouche Poker Tour, which will then make sense to you why it's dead, and then it won't make sense to you why it's coming back alive. But nevertheless, it is. We'll talk about that. A women's event took place at a series in Malta called the Battle of Malta. And I bet you think this story is going to be about men playing in the women's event, but it's not. As far as I know, there were no men in that women's event. So why is this a story? Well, the male dealers at the women's event 
were forced to deal the event topless. <laughs> Again, the women were not topless. The male dealers were topless, and women were barred from dealing the event. As you can imagine, there was a big backlash to it, and we will cover that whole thing when we get to that segment. Here's an update for you on a topic that has been pushed way, way, way to the background. It was probably the biggest topic in poker until a certain gentleman named Mike Possel was caught looking at his crotch and somehow knowing everyone's whole cards. Remember the Venetian tournament with those total prize pools where the poker community was coalescing together to condemn them? And then we just forgot that story existed because everyone wanted to talk about Possel. Well, that didn't mean the Venetians not still going to run that tournament, right? So they ran the tournament, or actually they're running it right now as we speak. And I will tell you how it's going and whether they are going to exceed that total price pool and start just confiscating people's money, which is basically what they're doing once they get past the maximum price pool, which is what this is. Uh, I'll let you know how it's going and where it's likely to go. IGT, which is a very, very big manufacturer of slot machines and video poker, they have released a video that shows how you can use your smartphone to play cashless machines in casinos, slot machines and video poker, instead of having to bring money and insert it into the machine, you can use your smartphone to directly withdraw from your bank account and play that way. And you won't even need a player's card anymore either. It'll, it'll also be your player's card. How could that go wrong for anybody where they can just directly access their bank account at the slot machine? So IGT is rolling that out. They put a video up promoting that. We will talk about... Well, I'll play you the video. It's kind of a funny video. And then we will talk about... Whether this is a good idea, and if you can expect to see this in Las Vegas anytime soon. Norman Chad, longtime color commentator for the World Series of Poker, he posted some public complaints on Twitter. Now, Norman is a, an opinionated guy, but what might surprise you is that his complaints were not about other poker players or things that are just generally in poker Norman Chad was bashing the World Series of Poker or more accurately an aspect of it and by the way I completely agree so we're going to I'm going to read you Norman Chad's tweets I will give my analysis which I've already told you is going to be similar to his analysis and I will tell you once again, I think I told you this in the summer, but I'll tell you once again my personal experiences with Norman Chad, including one I had this summer. Finally, the Encore Poker Room was evacuated as water rushed through the ceiling. I'll tell you about that unfortunate event at this supposed new and modern and well-built casino. So that is our agenda for this evening. I'm going to try to find Trader and then we will get going. So let's see here. It's always a challenge with Skype. Every every time it, it updates without me wanting it to update, that's a new thing. It loves to it loves to update. Skype says, I know you don't want a new version, but we're gonna force one on you. 
It's it's a forceful update. Skype does not ask for my consent. What's happening, Trough? Trey Ruski. In honor of you, we're doing a Friday show. I hope you can uh, manage to stay up later. Uh, I got some Starbucks before the show, so I'm ready to go. Oh, that's good. Okay. Just like last week, I actually have something to do in the morning, so I can't stay up as late. I said that last week, and someone laughed at me because I ended up doing like a six-hour show anyway and going to bed really late. So I was suffering that next day. Hopefully that will not happen tomorrow for me, but we don't have that long of an agenda tonight, so I think it looks a bit better this time. Anyway, the free roll, you've got three minutes to get in there and get into that Eric Benzamokin splash pot. Otherwise, the $171.63 will go to somebody else. That's a few pieces of change still falling there. All right, let's get to the first topic. And I I can imagine I'm going to get some mixed opinions about even doing this topic. Before I start the topic, because I, people are so sensitive about politics nowadays, just, just really, really sensitive. I'm sure everybody who has Facebook has been blocked by someone or other because of your political views, On no matter which side you're on. You, if you're on the left, maybe someone on the right blocked you. If you're on the right, someone on the left blocked you. Unless, unless you never post about politics, then you probably haven't been blocked. Uh, I don't post about politics really very much on Facebook. Uh, I'll, I will comment on other people's posts that are on my feed. And that actually has gotten me blocked by a few people, even though I do it very respectfully and I, I, I'm not extreme and I, I explain my points. I don't just post stupid memes like I, I, I really come into these political discussions from a logical intellectual standpoint, even if you don't agree with me. I'm not saying you have to agree with me. I'm not saying I'm right. I think I am, but I'm not saying I am. It's it, if you think differently than me politically, then you think you're right. And that's fine. But I, I have had. A few people, including some I knew for a long time, blocked me. I know others who have been blocked by family members over politics. I know some who have been blocked by like former best friends. Fortunately, none of that happened to me. I didn't lose uh, like anyone really close to me from this. But I think it's all stupid to behave that way. I, I think that people should be able to have political discussions like they used to without getting personally involved and hating the other person simply for thinking differently about political matters than you do. Unfortunately, it's also hard to discuss political matters on this show or on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum without people just getting angry if they feel that their side of the political spectrum is being put down in some way. So if you post an unflattering story about a Republican, then the people on the right are going to respond, even if you're not saying anything blanket bad about Republicans. If you're just mentioning a particular Republican, there's going to be people attacking you. And the same thing with with if you post something unflattering about a Democrat. You're going to have people on the left attacking you. And it's too bad because uh, that shouldn't happen. But but that is what happens. So I'm going to preface this by saying that I would be covering this story, at least on the forum, I'd be covering this story, whether or not it had to do with a Democrat. It does have to do with a Democrat, but even if it had to do with a Republican, I would cover it because I find it very interesting. And the person it involves is not a major person in politics. It's, It's a woman in Congress, but Congress has so many members, an individual uh, person in Congress, unless they're very high profile, is is not going to have a whole lot of influence on the country as a whole. And this person was not all that high profile prior to this situation. So I'm really only covering the story because I find it interesting. 
And it also had an element of mystery to it, which I then uncovered. And then I posted what I found. And then that ended up causing Poker Fraud Alert to become part of the story. Which still kind of, I don't know, it just feels weird. It kind of feels weird to read this as like a front page story on CNN or other mainstream sites and then know that like someone involved in the story was contacting me over my role in it. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, I, I, I'm having an effect here. I wasn't even trying to have an effect, but I was having an effect here. So here's the story. And if you don't like political topics, then you can skip. But I, I will tell you, this is not going to be about political policy. It's not going to be bashing any particular party. It's just about a politician who did something that they should not have done. And it's an interesting story. So there's a congresswoman named Katie Hill, who is the congresswoman for northern Los Angeles County and even a part of Ventura County. It's a district that includes Simi Valley, Newhall, uh, Palmdale, and Lancaster. A lot of people who work in these cities or who live in these cities actually drive into L.A. for work every day, which is kind of brutal. It's a bad drive because of traffic both ways. This was formerly a Republican district, and it started to change over the years. And in the 2016 election, it was kind of considered a toss-up as far as the expected voters to turn out. So it was going to be really close. And a woman named Katie Hill, who was just 31 years old, was running for Congress to try to unseat the Republican. Well, she did. She won by nine points, which was very impressive in a district that is basically split Republican-Democrat. It's one thing to win by nine points if most of the voters lean Democratic, but they didn't there. It was about split even, and she won by nine points, which was very impressive. Also, she was only 31, which was also impressive. I know there's a few younger than that, like AOC. Despite this, she didn't get that much attention. Most of you probably hadn't heard of her prior to this story, unless you live in that district. Uh, There was another element about her that was a little bit unusual, not the first one like this, but she is bisexual and open about it. I think there's a few other bisexuals in, in uh, Congress. I know she's the, I think she's the first California congressperson who's openly bisexual elected to office. But somehow, uh, despite being 31 and bisexual and eh, fairly attractive, she's not like super hot, but she's fairly attractive. Despite all of that, you think would like really make her someone that people would notice. She kind of was under the radar for the most part. And most people hadn't really talked much about her. It's not like AOC, who you're hearing about every day, even though they're around the same age. And they're both new to Congress. The reason I'm talking about Katie Hill is because of a weird scandal that really is the first of its kind in politics, as far as I know. And it's it's a very 2019 story. That's all I can say. Trader Ruski, have you ever heard of a thruple before? Yeah, I think it's a three-way menage a trois, right? Well, you're close. It's it's a three-way relationship 
It's not a threesome. Well, it is. Oh, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's also a threesome, I guess, because it, it, sexually it, it is. But it's not just about sex. It's it's actually about it's it's like a marriage or a relationship where instead of two people involved, it's three. It can either it can be any genders too. It could be two males and one female. It could be one one male and two females. It could be three females. It could be three males. The most common configuration of this is two females and one male. I, the second most common are two males and one female, but, but really the most common is one male, two females, and that's what this story is about. Doesn't one of them have to be a midget? Or am I thinking of something else? Well, they, they can be. It's 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 optional. Makes it more interesting, at least. You can't have all three people being the same. It's kind of boring. But anyway, the Katie Hill was. Uh, she went, when she campaigned, even though she was open about being bisexual, other than that, she seemed pretty normal. Other than that, she was just a young woman running to be a freshman congresswoman who won pretty handily in the 2018 midterm elections. And that was about it. She was married to a guy kind of around her age, I think like four years older. And other than that, nothing too spectacular about her. Well, in the middle of this year, her husband filed for divorce, and it was a very bitter divorce, and I don't even know how this was held in for four months, because he was really pissed, and he was determined to uh, basically uh, get the truth out about what was happening. But somehow it took four months. maybe, Maybe he wasn't ready to go public. I don't know exactly why it's now that this is going public. But it just came out that Katie Hill, the new congresswoman from northern Los Angeles County, was involved in a throuple. You may say, well, who cares that what she wants to do with her sex life is her business? Well, yes, but there are more elements to it, which you'll have to hear. First of all, the third person in this relationship, you know, it's Katie, her husband named Kenny Heslip, has a different last name for whatever reason, and a campaign worker who worked for Katie Hill. This campaign worker was fresh out of college and 22 years old, a female, and very quickly she transitioned from being just a campaign worker to being in the relationship with Katie Hill and and her husband, Kenny Heslip. That already is frowned upon uh, involving members of Congress. Now, this started before she was in Congress. This started when she was just running for Congress. In fact, that's how she met this, uh, this young woman. If you go back two years when the Me Too movement started, after the... Harvey Weinstein came out and then all these women came forward and a few men too about sexual harassment they endured at work because sexual harassment was also a problem in politics where a politician would sometimes sexually harass their underlings. Uh, A law was actually passed that made it illegal for Congress people to get sexually or romantically involved with their staffers. So not only was it frowned upon, it was actually illegal. Now, 
This woman was not technically a staffer. She was a, a campaign aide, but this was still something that you're not supposed to be doing, This is especially since that law passed last year. Even if this is technically legal, which I think it is, this is something that you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to stay away from it. Even if it's consensual, even if everybody's cool with it, it's just to keep away from the gray area. And where there can be a gray area is if, if the politician has an interest in someone working for them, the person working for them may be afraid to say no because they're afraid they're going to lose their job. So that's why they just said, no more of this, this has to stop. So for about a year or so, the whole thing seemed to work out. Everybody seemed happy. I don't know the specifics of, of the sex part of it. I know everybody had sex with each other, but I kind of got the impression from what I was reading that it was kind of more the two women together than this dude together with the, with a girl, but I think he was too. So for about a year... Everything was okay, except Katie Hill already had some demons. She apparently had a drinking problem and was getting drunk. She was missing flights a lot. There were already things happening that were concerning to her husband. Who, who didn't see, He doesn't seem like a great guy either. I'm not trying to cast him as a victim. But even he was getting concerned that she had a drinking issue. And I guess she also suffered from some form of mania and, and wasn't taking her meds all the time. So there were, there were some things going on in the background with her anyway that, that weren't all that good. But other than that, the relationship seemed to be working out. They were, they were traveling together, all three of them, and, and this was staying under the radar. Nobody knew. People in the campaign, campaign office didn't know. Once Katie ended up winning the election in November 2018, uh, very few people knew. Obviously, this was not publicly known. They just were quietly having their thruple. And the girl, the 22-year-old girl who was part of it, she really was a big believer in it. She really thought this is going to be forever. They're going to grow old together. Well, here's a problem with these thruples. In theory, these could sound good, provided everybody's into it. Like you could say, oh, great. You know, like think about if you're a dude and you get to not only be with two women instead of one, but you can you also get to watch a little show if you want when they're together. So that's a lot of dudes say, "Hey, this is appealing. This, this sounds this sounds great." As long as my wife like isn't a lesbian and leaves me, you know, just bring another woman in. Yeah, just great. It doesn't really work that way. Is the problem though? It, it doesn't work that way long term, and that's because human beings are not really wired for this emotionally. Human beings ha- have a problem. With with jealousy, with uh, preferences for one person over another, even if not intentional. And it's very hard to maintain one of these things to the long term. In the short term, you can make it work, and the, but the, then it's, things can start to go south very quickly. Usually what happens in these throuples is, is one of two things. Either the third person gets kicked to the curb, either just because the, the couple gets bored of them or... Or they decide they don't like him as much as they thought, or uh, or there starts being jealousy on one side or the other, and they decide, hey, we we got to get rid of this to, to make the uh, to save the marriage. Or what what also ha- will happen is the new partner will just turn into a couple with one of the other two, and the third person will be left out and dumped. That usually one of those two things happen. It, it, it's very unusual for these things to survive long term. 
It's and you hear people talking. Oh, you just have to be open minded. You just have to be non judgmental. You just have to be uh, just not be jealous, and you have to just be loving to everyone. You can say all this crap, but but your mind's not going to work that way. You, you you can think it will, but it usually won't. A small percentage of people might be able to pull it off, but uh, most people cannot, even if they think they can. What happened with this one is not what typically would happen in one of these. And by the way, there is going to be a poker fraud alert connection to this. So there's a reason I'm, as I said, there's a reason I'm telling this whole story on poker fraud alert radio. Also, we don't have that many stories this week. We lost Trader Ruski, but let's throw him back on here. What What ended up happening was not that they dumped the 22-year-old girl. It was not that uh, Katie Hill decided she was a lesbian and just went off with a girl. It wasn't that uh, the girl ran off with her husband and Katie was left high and dry. No, none of these things. What happened was something pretty unusual. So Katie won the election, moved to Washington, D.C., and I, I think the two of them came along. Right before Katie moved to Washington, D.C., she started acting strange. Like the, the end of 2018, she started acting very strange toward both of them, just kind of cold, kind of distant. She just, she just didn't seem like she was all that into them anymore. And they thought, okay, it was probably just the stress of now she's, in, she's about to be a congresswoman and she's just won the election. Now she's got to prepare. They, they kind of dismissed that just because her life is changing so much that, that she just can't focus on them as much. But it continued this way, and it just seemed like she was getting more and more distant until in May 2018, either May or June 2018, I've gotten two different timelines on this, she abruptly dumped them both simultaneously. Now, that's really unusual. That is really unusual for someone in this to just say, you know what, I'm breaking up with both of you. Usually the third person's kind of pushed out. <laughs> in this case, the third person is like, uh, and this is the one who's, one of the two who's married, just says to the husband and the female lover, you know what, I don't want either of you. Goodbye. And it wasn't over any fight. It was kind of a thing that, that it was happening over time and they could feel it was happening and she was denying there's anything wrong and then it kept saying, oh, no, no, I love you both. We're going to be together forever. And then bang, they're both dumped. Well, what was the reason she gave for why both were dumped? It was a very strange reason. She said that she has to focus on, quote, this work which is so important and that it's, quote, not fair to anyone to have a relationship with them at this point. Basically saying, I'm going to be married to the job in Congress. Uh, This job is so important. I won't be able to give enough of myself to any relationship. So sorry, got to dump you both. Very much a it's not you, it's me sort of thing. Well, they were both very perplexed by this because think of all the people in Congress. Most of them are either married or have some kind of long-term relationship. And I've never heard it before where someone says, I have to dump the person I've been with. I had to get a divorce because Congress is going to take up too much of my time. I've never heard that happening ever. And they knew this was weird. They knew this was really a weird excuse that Congress is – the work's so important, so she can't be in a relationship. And she she knew this when she went. She was running for Congress. She was she wasn't telling them, "Hey, when I if I win, I'm gonna have to dump you guys." She just before she even start. Well, she started. She got cold. She started. She was on the job for about I don't know five months, and then dumps them, both of them simultaneously. 
So they're both left scratching their heads like, what the hell? The husband, who he was, he was kind of suspecting that maybe that, that she was a lesbian and that this, it was something like that. That maybe she's just leaving him for a woman, maybe even just a different woman. Like he, he was thinking maybe it's about that, that uh, this was just kind of her way of transitioning to what she really is, which is gay. Trader Risky, do you, do you have something to say here? I, I can't hear like background noise. Trader Risky. Sorry, Trump. Sorry, I thought it was on mute. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> fix that. My bad. So she what, – what she ended up doing was uh, – or so what, what the husband ended up doing was looking into this further because he's – I've got to figure this out. If, if she's turned into a lesbian, then so be it. I'm not even going to be that pissed. I kind of, I kind of figured this might happen, but I, I want to see what's really going on. I don't believe the story she's giving. Well, he looked into it, and he found out the unfortunate truth. Uh, I guess the good news was his wife – had not turned into a lesbian. The bad news is his wife is leaving him for a man. And the additional bad news was this man was a congressional staffer, which was also against the law. The, the man's name was Graham Kelly. He was a, an aide of hers. And after checking into it, he uncovered... Now, I guess he didn't have conclusive proof, but he claims that he uncovered, and some text messages I saw would seem to support this for the most part, that not only did she leave him for this Graham Kelly, another staffer, but uh, she had been having sex with Graham Kelly for about a year. So that that had been going on for quite some time, even while she was... like the last six months she was running for Congress and saying how much she loves her husband and putting out all these sweet Instagram posts about how he's her rock and how he's the, the man behind her that's, that's making all this possible. In the meantime, she was supposedly banging this Graham Kelly from her office while also having this thruple and, and keeping it, keeping both of these people in the dark that she supposedly loves and going to spend forever with. So this enraged her husband, Kenny, who felt, look, if she's going to leave me because she's a lesbian, fine. But if she's going to leave me for another dude, that's a whole matter, different matter entirely because that, that's not about who she is. That's just about her cheating, which is an interesting perspective. Like some men would still be angry. A lot of men would still be angry if their wife just left them for another woman, even if they were kind of coming out as a lesbian. But this guy, it, it really seemed like he wouldn't have been angry if that happened, but he was furious about the thing with the, with the, the male staffer. So he files for divorce. Prior to that, he had actually held off with with filing for divorce, thinking that maybe this whole thing can come back together. But once he found this out, he was furious and filed for divorce. And at some time after that, a bunch of text messages got leaked. Some of these text messages were ones that she had with this young girl who was part of the thruple, and some of them were ones that uh, Kenny had with various people. And this week... Some things were posted by a right-wing blog called Red State exposing all of this, including posting three kind of redacted pictures of her and that girl. Uh, One with uh, Katie Hill oddly being naked and brushing the girl's hair while she's fully clothed, though they blocked out the girl's face. The other two with Katie looking like they're, they're dressed in like winter clothes where she's hugging the girl and another one where she's 
kissing the girl, again, with the girl's face blacked out. So Red State posted these pictures and claimed they had, quote, a lot more intimate photos that they're choosing not to share, and they told the whole story. And people didn't know what to think at first, because Red State, like a lot of right-wing blogs, didn't have the best record for truth. And this is a big problem, by the way, on both sides. And I'm irritated by it. I I hate clickbait. I hate fake news sites. And I I see them all the time on both ends of the political spectrum, where you'll read something and you just know it's not true, or it's so exaggerated it, it doesn't really resemble the real story. And then you have idiots sharing it all over Facebook and say, oh, look at this, look at this. And, and then if you dare correct these people, they get furious. So Red State, uh, it wasn't fake news, the site, but let me just say they, they didn't have the, a stellar record for uh, accuracy either. You, you can be biased, but be accurate. But they were both biased and often inaccurate. So people dismissed it at first. When I read the story, I believed it the second I read it. There was just, they, they provided so much proof, text messages, pictures, so much stuff that you could connect all the dots that totally fit together that I would have been shocked if they, if they could have manufactured this one. But because of Red State's record, a lot of people were ignoring it and the fact that the mainstream media does lean left for the most part, so it was also being ignored for that reason. But then it started to pick up momentum. Because people started to look into it and go, hey, you know, this it might be Red State reporting it, but Red State kind of seems correct on this one. <laughs> so just because it's a biased blog that sometimes has fake news doesn't mean all the news is fake if the real news is salacious enough, which this was. So it started to be looked into. Now, that's about when I came into the story and found this very interesting. Why? Because I, I love these dysfunctional stories about politicians or, or other celebrities. I just... I, I like where you pull back the curtain and you see the truth behind these dysfunctional lives of these people that are presented to us as flawless human beings. It's just very interesting to me. It's very fascinating to me, especially when there's very unusual details that really contrast with the public image the person presents. It wasn't about her being a Democrat. I don't even believe she's like all that left wing. Uh, she's not a really prominent Democrat at this point. They talked about her maybe having a, a future of being someone big, but she isn't yet. It wasn't about, oh, good, now I get to read about a Democrat who's falling upon hard times or falling upon scandal. It was I, I just find these stories very interesting. So I read the story, and there's something bothering me. There was, something, there was something missing from this story that I really, really wanted to know. That was who was the third person. I wanted to see a picture. I wanted to know who it was. I wanted to know their background. Like, I wanted to know more about them. I wanted the complete picture. But by the time I read the whole story, I, I got a pretty good picture of Katie and her husband. But very little was said about the third person. Like, well, I, I got to find this out. And for whatever reason, Red State wasn't naming her. And the other news outlets covering this were not naming her. Even like the Daily Mail, which names everybody and doesn't give a crap, which is why I like them. They wouldn't name her either. Nobody would name her. And nobody would give much information on her. So I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out and I'm going to name her. So I put out some effort 
Not a ton of effort, but I put out a little effort that night. Looked up some things, accessed some databases legally, and I came up with the answer. The girl's name was Morgan Desjardins, or Desjardins, uh, D E S J A R D I N S. She's 24 now. She was 22 when the relationship started. That that was made public. She is a white female, skinny, long brown hair. Uh, pretty attractive. Not like super hot, but pretty attractive. Uh, neither of the women involved here look butch or anything. They both just look like feminine women. Uh, Katie's older than... You know, Katie is now 32 and Morgan's 24. Somewhat of an age difference, but not huge. Uh, so I looked at Morgan. I, I saw what college she went to. I, I found a bunch of pictures of her. I found her Facebook. I found her Twitter, which had been protected, but I was able to go into archives and find the Twitter posts she had made, which weren't all that interesting, but I found another picture of her there. And I go, okay, well... I'm going to name her. So I posted on Poker Fraud Alert that the third person was Morgan Desjardins. Posted two pictures of her. And I prepared for uh, some potential fallout from this. Because I was the very first one, from what I could see, anywhere on the web to name her. I wasn't the first one to discover who she was. Uh, some of these news outlets had said they figured out who she was, but they weren't going to name her. I decided to name her. And, and when I was deciding whether I do this or not, I thought, well, this is someone who was a worker with a congresswoman who then got involved in this relationship voluntarily. She was an adult. She wasn't raped. She wasn't sexually harassed. So it was clear from reading everything that these, these things were all true. So I go, well, if you're, if you're going to get involved in a romantic relationship, especially kind of a weird one, a thruple thing, if you're going to get involved with a congresswoman like this, uh, you, you kind of give up your expectation of privacy if a scandal starts to develop around this. So I, I posted the information. I, like, it, it, For example, if they were accused of raping someone or sexually harassing someone, then I wouldn't feel comfortable naming them because I, I, you know, that's bringing out a, a victim's name into the public when they may not want it. But this was someone who willingly did all this. I'm not saying she did anything wrong, except uh, yeah, she probably should have used better judgment. But but I, still, when you knowingly enter into something like this as an adult, knowing that there can be fallout and scandal around it, then you can't complain about your privacy being ruined. So I posted it. I had a little bit of lingering doubt as I went to sleep. I thought, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe it was just... Maybe she was, you know, she was much younger. Maybe she was just kind of talked into it. Maybe she was kind of a victim in this whole thing, even though she willingly entered it. And I thought, nah, she knew what she was doing. Screw it. And so I went to sleep. Well, I noticed the next evening when she still hadn't been named yet. We're talking about like six o'clock Pacific time. On, uh, when was this? Six o'clock Pacific time on uh, Thursday, 6 p.m. around then. I 
Actually, I guess it was the day before. It was the day before, 6 o'clock Wednesday. I noticed that I had received email through the Poker Fraud Alert contact form. Who was I contacted by? Morgan Desjardins. Yes. The girl in the story, which now had become front page news on Fox News, on CNN, on MSNBC, on the Daily Mail, all these major news sites. This was now a front page story. And the woman involved was still only named on Poker Fraud Alert. And it was increasingly showing up on Google. And if you wanted to see her name or her picture, Poker Fraud Alert was the only place you could go to see it. I even tried to go to right-wing blogs and stuff like that. None of them had it. Even ones that would totally name it if they had it, none of them had it. I knew I wasn't going to stay that way for long, but none of them had it. So Morgan was aware of this. And I got an email from her telling me that she wants me to take her pictures down. Oddly enough, she was not demanding I take her name down, but she was demanding I take her pictures down, and she was doing it from a kind of a legal standpoint, that she didn't give me permission to post her pictures. Well, the problem with that, and I, I kind of wish we had Eric Pinsamokin on for this. I, I don't know if this is his area of law, but from what I've understood... It's when someone presents a picture of themselves to the public internet, and her Facebook page was open. I didn't find a way to worm my way in. She had it open to the world. I didn't friend request her or anything. I just went to her Facebook and just accessed it as anyone could and got the pictures from there. So when you post your picture to the public web and then you become part of a major news story, uh, at that point your picture is is basically fair game, is, is what I've been made to understand. And, and I've seen major news outlets publish pictures that they got from places like Facebook, where they just grab a Facebook picture from the person's site and put it up there. And if the person tells them, hey, you don't have a person, permission to repost my picture, Facebook tells them to eat – or the, sorry, not the, uh, the news organization – the news organization tells them to eat shit is what happens. So this is different than like taking a picture of uh, the person walking down the street – and then using this uh, in some sort of for-profit venture. If, if it's covering news, and if it's something that's either taken in a public place or something that the person presented to the Internet publicly, I believe that you can repost it. I'm not 100% sure on that, but that's, that's what I've been made to believe. Maybe... Somebody can correct me on this if I'm wrong. But that's always what I've believed, and I've watched other news organizations do it. Interestingly, I think Facebook may actually be able to take action if they didn't want you to repost it. Because I think in a way, when you post it through their site, it kind of becomes their site's property. But I don't believe that Morgan had the legal right to force me to take it down, especially because this was a news story and this uh, poker fraudler is a not-for-profit site. But that was the way she was coming at me in asking me to take it down. Or shall I say, demanding that I take it down. So given that, Trader Ruski, when I received that message, what do you think I decided to do? I think you refused to take it down. 
That would. But be, I, I don't know if you'd show, because because also she worked for for her, right? Yes. So I mean, you know, you're saying that she chose to be in that relationship, but again, it was her boss. You know, it could be something that she may have felt she didn't have a choice if she wanted to keep her job. Yeah. Well, so I thought of these things. So I was really debating this because. I, I kind of like the idea, not even just to get like clicks or anything. Because getting clicks doesn't matter since it's, it's, I don't run ads on the site. It's not a prop, for-profit site. But I did just kind of like being part of the story. I like the fact that I was breaking the news story. Uh, not that I wasn't breaking the story, but I was breaking this element of the news story. I was the only one willing to, to put this out there. And, and for a while I was thinking this is fine to put this sort of thing out there because she willingly did it and she's an adult and she knowingly got involved with a, with a congresswoman in this way. But – I thought of it again. I said, okay, well, forget the legal stuff. I'm not afraid I'm going to get sued over this. But let's think of it from a moral standpoint. Maybe she is kind of a victim. It's, it's kind of impossible to tell. Maybe she was pressured. Maybe uh, maybe she was just naive. Maybe it wasn't so much pressure, but maybe that uh, she fell for a bunch of bullshit that Katie Hill handed her about we'll be together forever. I love you, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, boy, this is always what I've wanted. Uh, you know, she's, he, she's so wonderful. And then just got kind of starstruck and then and was manipulated, which, which, which by the way, is, is my current belief. So I thought about it. and I said, you know what? I am changing my mind. I don't think I want to put this out here anymore. So I actually removed it, not just her pictures. As she only asked to have her pictures removed. She never demanded I remove her name. Which, by the way, she couldn't demand. If what I was writing was the truth, there's no you. You, you can never demand somebody remove your name. I mean, you can demand it, but there's no there's no legal precedent to having yourself not talked about if they're telling the truth. So you, you you can't go after someone for defamation or slander or libel if if what they're saying is true. And she knew what I was saying was true. So that's, so that's probably why she didn't even bother. But I decided, yeah, I'm going to take it all down. I'm just going to take it all down. And I don't want to be the one to bring this out there. I figured it's going to get out eventually. That once it gets out, then I'll put it back. But I don't want to be the one who's forcing her into the spotlight. Because I wasn't sure how... I I, I thought maybe she could have been manipulated here. And that this wasn't... She wasn't really thinking straight, and she was just a, a young girl who kind of was talked into doing something stupid by a, a narcissistic congresswoman and her perverted husband. So I, I didn't want to – I was sure she was going through just hell, this girl, probably not wanting the spotlight. And then I was contributing to it, so I felt bad. So I removed it. I didn't have to remove it. There were reasons – I could justify not removing it legally and morally, but I said, no, I, I don't feel good about this anymore. I removed it. And I sent, her a me- I sent her an email back, and I said that your legal threat doesn't impress me at all, but from a human standpoint, I've thought about it, and I've removed it, and I know you want your privacy, and I, I hope you keep your privacy, but if you don't keep your privacy, first of all, once this gets out in, in the mass media, I will repost it because at that point everyone will have it. And so I won't really matter anymore at that point. And and second, uh, once this does come out who you are, if this happens, I really encourage you to just come forward and tell the truth because I, I think you were manipulated manipulated and used here. I think that that uh, you should tell your story. I think the the real Katie Hill should be known because the more I was reading, I just thought, yeah, this woman is. She seems just very cold. She seems just really. 
like someone who de- de- doesn't mind just using and hurting other people from everything I was reading. That was my impression. I don't know for sure. I don't know her personally, but that was my impression of Katie Hill after all this. So I told her, I said, you, sh- you should come forward. You know her. Go tell your story. There were things in the text messages about how, how she was abusive during the relationship, she meaning Katie. I go, well, tell all this. Let, let everybody know. If you were a victim here, let everybody know. I think you should. I said, you probably don't care about my advice. And you have no reason to listen to me, but that's my advice to you. <laughs> so so I, I took it down. And then hours later, the Daily Mail also changed their minds, but the opposite direction. The Daily Mail went from, no, we're not going to publish this, to, yeah, not only are we going to publish this, but uh, we're going to publish everything, including more pictures and without this girl's face redacted. So they just they just dropped a ton of stuff out there, including like a fully naked picture of Katie Hill, except with the private parts scratched out, like in a very unprofessional way, kind of like just someone like scratched it out with a... Uh, Black in Microsoft Paint. That's what it looked like. But they posted like a full naked picture of Katie Hill hitting a bong. And they showed a tattoo she had that was kind of like way up, like her upper thigh that you normally couldn't see. That A tattoo that was kind of like a, a Nazi cross that's been long associated with Nazis. You'd be kind of wondering about that. Why, why does she have that tattoo? And uh, boy, did they drop the mother load. They didn't drop like any hardcore sexual pictures, but they they dropped a lot. Well, that that really got the story going, and then they named Morgan and everything. That's why I'm naming Morgan now. They 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 dropped everything, and at that point there was no no more secrecy. Not because of me, by the way. They knew it before I did. They even wrote that they knew it before I did. Like they know they wrote initially they knew it, but they weren't going to name her. So they they just had a change of heart. And that's always what they've done, by the way. That's always been their pattern. If you ever see a story where you just feel like you're not getting the whole thing, go to the Daily Mail. You'll probably get the whole thing. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I never got a response from Morgan, which I wasn't expecting one. But this really blew up. And now Congress is investigating Katie, especially over the allegation that uh, the second allegation that she was dating this staff, this male staffer who actually directly works for her as an aide, which is illegal. So she could be removed from Congress for this or worse. And uh, and they're also investigating the relationship that they, she had with with Morgan to see if there was any anything inappropriate done there. So there's, there's actually a congressional investigation on her. She has since admitted to the relationship with Morgan which she had no choice because there's all those pictures, but has denied the relationship with Graham Kelly, the male staffer, the one which would be a much more serious matter if it's found to be true. But I think it is true from everything I've seen. She just can't admit to it because she's pretty much admitting to a crime. That's where it stands. And it's, it's become a fairly big story. It's not like a... Top story, but it's like a front page mainstream story at this point. Go ahead and Google it, Katie, Katie Hill. You'll see it. So Poker Fraud Alert was was on the forefront of naming the third person in that thruple. And then 
I retracted it. I decided I didn't want to be the person who did this. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting soft in my old age. I think you did the right thing, Druff. Now, did um, so there was never a quapple with the four. I mean, she's banging the the thruple, then she has a guy on the side. Right, <laughs> she's just you know she wants it all. Yeah, they're both staffers too. That's the what well, was a staffer? One was a campaign aide. That's what's so funny. Like in eighteen months. She she's banking a female campaign aide and a male staffer, and and she's doing both of them without the other knowing, and then has a husband too, who's who's aware of, of course aware of the of the female part of it, but the, but not aware of the male, and that's what enraged him. There's like like for a year in the final year of the relationship, she's banging this guy Graham on the side, so that's that's crazy if you think about it. Just when does she have time for her Congress work? It seems like the opposite. She's like, well, I've got to focus on my work. It was more like, well, when does she have time to do work with uh, all the people she's banging here? But if if you go look at like the speeches she's made in the past and the the image she presents, it's nothing like this. It, it, it just seems like a charismatic young woman who ran for Congress and won in a, in a tough district to win. It's amazing. She looks like the most normal person. Right. She totally she looks so normal. She looks so Oh, and also Crazy. also it was found that and it's possible this was posted by her husband who seems he seems kind of like a sleazy pervert, but uh, her husband but there, it was posted on uh, a Reddit r/r uh would you fuck my wife and slash r wife sharing pictures of her naked. Back like in 2016 and 17, including one where there's like a they, they lived in this property that her husband's family owned in Agua Dulce, which is like northeast of Los Angeles. It's kind of like a rural area. They lived in this house over there and they, they had like a pet goat. And there's a picture that was posted on like on our wife sharing of Reddit a few years ago of the goat kind of just like walking around next to her. And she's lying completely naked where you can see her ass and everything. And. It said, do you like our goat? That was on our wife sharing. There was also a report, and this, they actually named the person. It wasn't like an anonymous tip. It was like a person actually who gave their name said that some years ago that he lived with uh, – he was a roommate of Katie and her husband. This is long before she was in Congress. And that there was some other like 21-year-old girl – living with them and they were like constantly banging around the house and the guy got tired of it. Like the guy wasn't even turned on by this. He was just like disgusted. Every time he comes home, he just sees all these freaky scenes going on. And he finally, he said he finally just left. He said, he's like, I, I, I can't live with this. I'm, I'm God. It's like, it's like a real life porn constantly going on in my house here. So the guy just ditched. That was some guy claim. I forgot his name. The guy actually gave his name and he's probably telling the truth too. So it's, it's so weird. Like as Trader Risky said, you look at her, she looks like a totally normal, clean-cut woman. You, you never know what's really going on in the background of these politicians' lives. And Jeff, so it wasn't a swastika, but it was a Nazi cross? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a Nazi cross. Yeah, I hadn't really – I'd seen it before, but I hadn't really thought much of it. There's a cross which I know is associated with, with uh, Nazis. It's like a, a, it's a certain type of cross. It's kind of hard to describe, and it's it's – been associated with Nazis, but it's not exclusively having to do with Nazis, but that's a lot of the modern usage of it, and there's questions like, why did she get that particular cross? So that's that was kind of weird, too. I'm not saying she's a Nazi or anything. I'm just saying that was kind of a weird element to this whole thing that came out, which hasn't really been answered. 
And oh, and by the way, uh, lawyers are now going after the Daily Mail. Fortunately, they're not going after me. But they're going after the Daily Mail for publishing nude pictures without her permission, which is a crime in California and other states. Uh, they're not going after Red State, to my knowledge. But they, they are going after the Daily Mail, and they're demanding the Daily Mail take these pictures down. And the Daily Mail, from what I've seen, has given a big middle finger so far. So, uh, Fortunately, I did not get hassled by any attorneys. Otherwise, I, I may have to hire Eric Bensamoke, and I, I may have to splash his pot with, with my own Jew money defending myself. But fortunately, I did not get anything like that. And I, I have gotten contacts from attorneys before about celebrity pictures on my site. Like in some of these hackings where celebrity pictures are posted, I'm not even the one posting them. But like, the, like people have posted celebrity pictures on my site, like nudes that were hacked from phones or whatever, and then I'll get emails from their attorneys saying, "Take this down now." And and when I've gotten it, I have complied. I've taken them down. But uh, I like I think uh, Jennifer Lawrence's attorney wrote to me, and what one other celebrity's attorney wrote to me in the past. And so I responded, "Okay, I'm taking it down," and that was that. But I did not get any attorney contact here. Just Morgan herself wrote to me in what I don't think was a very legally actionable request. But uh, sometimes you just got to think about it. You know, I unrelated to all this. What was the whole story? I got there was some uh, some woman whose picture was posted on my site. That was part of some news story or something, something like that. Just some news story I found where I, I posted some publicly available pictures of her. I didn't know the woman. She didn't have to do with poker. I, I started to get, so I got an email from her saying, like, again, like it, it, with BS legal language telling me I had to take this down. So I was kind of going back and forth with her saying, well, look, you're already part of this news story. That this, this is all out in public. And so... Then she stopped answering me, and she had her boyfriend start writing to me. And the guy was a complete dickhead, and he's just hammering me with messages over and over and over again. If like, I don't respond, like within 10 minutes, he writes me another one saying, Why are you ignoring me? And he's just, the guy's just going off on me. And he's threatening all this different legal action, and uh, the guy seemed like a nutcase. So I had to decide at that point, do I just give him the middle finger because this guy is being a complete dick about it and out of line the way he's, he's behaving with me. And I was trying to, I was trying to do like discussion rationally with them. Like uh, I was, I was saying I'm, I, I'm willing to work with them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, but the guy was going so crazy. So I had to decide, do I take a stand here or do, do I just say, fuck it and take it down? So I decided th- this was already a thread that was like two years old and nobody was reading or caring about it anymore. And it was never a major story in the first place, nor did it have to do with poker or gambling. So I was like, you know what? I, I don't believe this dumbass here even has a penny to sue me with, uh, nor do I think he has a lot of legal standing with this stuff, but whatever. You know, I don't feel like just dealing with some psycho like this over something so minor. But at the same time, I don't want to let him feel like he's getting over on me or something, because like I don't want to feel like he, he, he pushed me into this. So, like, I, I let him sweat for a few days, and then... Uh, then I wrote a message to him, like pretty much saying, like, uh, you know what? I'm I'm sick of hearing from you. Uh, you know, you're you're a pain in my ass. I, I'm just tired of this bullshit. Nobody, I decided nobody cares about this story. It's so old anyway. I'm just going to take it down. But 
not for, not not because I was scared of anything you threatened, and, and I may change my mind later and put it back up, but uh, I'm, I'm taking it down for now uh, because nobody gives a crap about it anymore, and, and I'm so sick. I'm so sick of you, so don't ever write to me again. And I took it down, kind of like I wanted to give him a middle finger on the way out. I didn't want to make it look like I'm cowering to him. I, I wasn't afraid of anything he was threatening. I was like, you know, this this is just starting to be too much trouble for something I really don't care about. I, for, like for a while we got stuck in the battle of egos And I go wait a minute why am I even doing this Like it's, it's not worth it Nobody, Nobody's going to read this thread again It's like a two year old news story that nobody cares about anymore It was kind of like a, a thing for a day or two I, I don't even remember who it was or what it was about anymore This is a, like a number of years ago But this is the type of crap I have to deal with Behind the scenes here on Poker Fraud Alert It's, it's interesting the con- I've gotten contacts also from scammers That I've exposed Or others have exposed that have said that it's uh, it's preventing them from getting jobs. They want the thread taking down. So what I say back is, okay, show me evidence that you have made everybody whole, and I'll take it down. Well, show me to first show me evidence you've made everybody whole, and then I also have to search the internet to make sure in the years that have passed that you haven't scammed other people. But if if many years have passed and, you've, and there's no other reports of you scamming anyone, else, and and I hear everybody has already been made whole prior to when you wrote me this, then I will take it down. So in a few cases, they actually were able to demonstrate to me they made everybody whole, and I was able to verify it, and and that sufficient time had passed and they weren't causing further problems. In one case, it was a guy who had a good – you may remember Cornell Fiji on uh, 2 Plus 2, for those of you that read that site. He, he had a very good reputation for a long time. In fact, he used to bust scams, and then he just – I think he stole like fantasy football money that he was holding, something like that. He, he was just a degenerate who just – Succumbed to the temptation to steal money when he was busto. Not defending it, it was theft, it was bad, but uh, this wasn't like a career scammer. This is a, a guy who was mostly good who just did a dumb thing. And then he went and got a job and worked and paid it off and made everybody whole. I'm like, okay, you know, I'd... some time had passed, he hadn't done anything else. He said he, you know, he, he quit the poker world. I said, all right, I will uh, reward good behavior here. And I took the thread down because he said this is causing him trouble in life to still have this thread up. So I said, okay, fine. He uh, he seems to have rehabilitated and, and made everything right, so I don't want this following him forever. But uh, a lot of times, the other scammers they can't show me how they made it right, or or they're just denying it's true when it's when everything I've seen makes it look like they're super guilty. So I either just don't respond, like don't respond further, or like I usually just give up the dialogue if they just aren't. Uh, aren't able to prove this to me or refuse to prove this to me. It's one thing to take down pictures from some news story that had nothing to do with poker or gambling. But it's another thing to want me to take down scam stories just because you're unhappy this is affecting you later in life. If it's affecting you later in life, then, then make the people wholly screwed and, and then we'll talk. So that's... Uh, I will take down... Posts that people have voluntarily made on Poker Fraud Alert, if it's causing them trouble. I've had people write to me that uh, their ex-wife or ex-husband, they're, they're trying to use it against them. Or uh, or it's somehow this name was associated with them in general and then it, it comes up when, when employers are trying to, potential employers are searching for them, whatever. Like I've had people tell me and give me reasonable sounding stories about how certain posts on the forum are... Uh, causing them issues in real life that they made and can I take them down and I'll work with them 
if it's if if it's an individual post, yeah, I'll remove it. Individual few posts, I'll remove it. Someone wants uh, all thousand posts they've made on my site removed, I won't do it. And I've told people that. I've, I've had people say, hey, I, I request you delete. I, I'm demanding you delete all thousand posts I've made on Poker Fraud Alert. I'm quitting the site. I go, that doesn't work that way. Once you, once you make a post, it's part of the site. It gets responded to. It creates like a chain of, of conversation. It, it breaks the whole chain. It breaks the whole thread if we remove parts of it after the fact. So, no, I'm not removing all of your posts. The most I've agreed to do is change people's names. Some people like, well, I don't like because this name is associated with my real name. So if you Google me, uh, this name can come up and people can figure out it's me. I go, okay, I'll change your name. That's the most I'll do. And and, and I won't do it for everybody. It depends what the circumstances are. But I will try to work with people. I you know, I have a heart. I don't want to. I don't want poker fraudler to screw people who haven't really done anything bad. If it's screw scammers, that's fine. I'm happy to see it screw scammers. But just regular posters on the site. Uh, I'll, I'll work with you. But you have to be reasonable too. You can't expect me to delete every post you've made over a period of four years. Anyway, I think we've talked enough about all this. Hope you enjoyed the story. If you didn't, you could you could fast forward in the archives. If you're listening live, then you can forget you heard it. Someone PM'd me on the, in the chat room saying it's uh, Desjardins. That's how you say. I, I was saying it's Desjardins, but okay, maybe it's Desjardins. I think it is. It's actually the person. The person who sent this to me lives in eastern Canada, so it's probably like a French name. That's probably why I screwed it up. And, and uh, it was clarified in chat the cross I was talking about is an iron cross. That's what it was. That's yeah. It's the Iron Cross. You know what? Someone said volume sucks, referring to the volume of the show. And okay, I get this message from Mumbles every week, and I appreciate the Mumbles tells me about this. When Trader Ruski's on, somehow my volume goes down, and his volume, like the whole volume of the show, goes down when Trader Ruski's on. And when Trader Ruski's not on, then it's louder. And it's something stupid Skype has done. It wasn't always like this. Let's see if I can fix this a little bit. You're probably going to have to adjust the volume of, of your player right now. I'm going to turn up Trader Ruski. I'm going to turn up myself. Let's see if this is any better. I think I turned up Trader Ruski too much. Let me bring him down some. Is it a pain in the ass? All right. Uh, am I better? Am I louder? I, I don't like being too soft, because you can always turn me down. You just can't turn me up past a certain point. So I always want to be loud. You sound good, Druff. I listened to it on my iPad when I muted myself. Okay. I mean, I have noticed. I, I've, I've been looking after the show for this, and I have noticed that like a certain segment's like super loud, and or not super loud, but pretty loud, and then it just drops in volume, and then it goes back up. And I even once had to edit something, and it's clear I edited it because the, the volume was different. I actually had to go after the fact, change that again and lower the volume of part of it. Saw 24 saying, Druff doesn't pay attention to chat. Well, he, he's right. I, I usually don't. But I will look at it a few times a show. I just have too much going on here. Let's check, check out our, our text message here at 775-372-8355 before we continue and go on to our poker and gambling topics. Uh, from the 623 
Do you think I'm a lurker? Did I qualify for last week's free roll? Yeah, you did. I, I, I know who this is. Yes, you qualified. It's actually someone who's bought a piece of me in the past. If you've bought a piece of me at the World Series, you qualify for the free roll automatically. That's a, it's a fringe benefit you get. If you've ever bought a piece of me in, in any World Series of Poker event that I've ever played, then you automatically qualify for the free roll, provided you're not banned for Poker Fraud Alert. So that's... Uh, this guy has bought a piece of me, and therefore he qualifies. If you've ever donated to the site or the show, you also automatically qualify, as long as you're not banned in any way. From the 505... Dating hypersexual girls is awesome the first week, then delves into a hair-pulling nightmare. That's actually true. That's actually true. Uh, There's a few cases where it's not true, but usually it's true. Usually something rides along with the girls being hypersexual, which isn't all that pleasant. It'd be nice if you could get the hypersexual stuff without... The unpleasant stuff that rides along with it, but somehow it usually does. From the 602, would you play in a cash game at Bellagio with Mike Postle in the game? Yes. I don't think he could cheat me if uh, he doesn't have cameras there on the hall cards or RFIDs on the hall cards. I would be more cautious that he's not marking cards or anything, but but I would play with him. But at the same time, I would say something. I would uh, I would prefer he's just not there. If the game's good, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm not going to play because Postle's here, but I I would prefer it, as, as I think most of you would, that he's just not allowed in card rooms anywhere. It'd be great if he could just be, like, blanket banned from everywhere or shamed out of playing anywhere if he shows up anywhere. For the time being, I don't see him showing up to any card rooms. He's become such a big story that I don't think he wants to be uh, berated while he's playing. He doesn't seem to have that personality type that's going to do very well with everyone being pissed that he's there. So I think he's just hiding out. Also, I don't know how much he's going to win in today's poker games without being able to cheat. I know he won back in the 2000s, but that was a totally different era. I I really don't know how much of a winning player he'd be. He's not a fish, but I don't know how much of a winning player he would be without the ability to cheat. I have not heard any reports of him playing anywhere since this whole story broke. All right, so moving along here, I want to talk about the incident with Marguerite Spagnolo and the Aria, which was featured on WABC-TV, also known as ABC7, in New York City. So here's, here's what happened here. WABC, a.k.a. ABC7, has a segment called Seven on Your Side. They also have a Seven on Your Side in Los Angeles in the ABC7 over here. And what they do, it's actually something pretty cool, that if you bring something to them where a business is screwing you, then they will do a story on it and kind of go to bat for you and put the business on the spot using their highly rated television station to make the business look really bad if they don't make it right. I I love seeing things like this because it exposes businesses acting shady and stands up for the little guy, which I think is great. Now, they're not doing this selflessly. They're doing this because it's 
the viewers like this, and it's good for ratings, but nevertheless, it's, it's a good service. Marguerite Spagnolo, who is a poker player, she, I'm not sure if she's married or has a long-term boyfriend, but there, there's some male partner she has. She's not in a throuple, though. I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. She, she and her partner play poker. I don't even know who he is, but I don't think either of them are particularly well-known. I had not really heard of her until this story, but I know she's been around for some years. She's an East Coast player mostly, which is part of the reason I haven't heard of her. She comes to Vegas about four times a year, and she and her husband basically play the comp game, where they try to get as many comps as possible. Uh, They both have players cards where they try to earn as many free nights as they can, and then they kind of space them out so that he'll have certain comp nights, and when he runs out of them, they quick, they check out him and then move to her comp nights. And there's there's a lot of ways to do it. Sometimes you can even do it without leaving the same room. I, I won't get into that whole thing, but a, a lot of couples do it who gamble a lot. And by her own admission, she does this, as you'll hear in the news story I'm going to play. And there's nothing wrong with that. This story is about comps she had that she claims were revoked after the fact, where she was offered to stay at the Aria for 10 straight nights during the World Series of Poker. And then upon checkout, she was presented with a big bill where she had to pay for seven of the nights. I'm going to play you this seven-on-your-side story, and then we're going to analyze this. And as is frequently the case with these sorts of things, you have to think critically and not just jump to the first conclusion that someone would come to when they watch something like this. Yep. Hold on. Let me, unfortunately, this is her playing. The video is not a direct video from ABC7. This is her playing the segment seven on your side. So let me see if I can turn this way up. Turn off Trader Ruski for a second. I'm going to try to turn this way up. Maybe you'll be able to hear it. Vegas was supposed to be filled with fun and a free hotel stay. But when they got here with a big bill, they turned to seven on your size, Nina Pineda, for a, a little lady luck. She's a poker princess who would never miss the World Series in Vegas. It's the best time of the year for poker players. Uh-huh. It's Christmas for poker. Marguerite Marco Spagnolo hit the strip at least four times a year. You spend a lot of time in a casino. <laughs> That's how you, you earn gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more points you get for the more... Time you play. Those points earn status to get comps, perks like free meals, drinks, tickets to shows, and comps hotel rooms. Sometimes he gets free rooms, sometimes I get free rooms. So we, we use his free rooms at one place, then we check out and go for where I have free rooms. Hopefully you can hear this. I, I know it's soft, and again, this is her recording off her own TV, and she didn't do it at very good volume, so this is the best. I've turned it up as much as I can. But... Uh, there's already some things that are kind of off in this news report. They're talking about her earning points. Points are totally different. Points you just spend as as you spend them. So, you yes, you can spend points on hotel rooms, but those aren't really comp rooms. That's just you taking points that can be used for one of many things, for food, for the gift shop, for uh, spa treatments, for, for hotel rooms. You, you can spend these whenever you need them as the expenses come up. 
But that's not what she's talking about here. She's talking about how, uh, comps where you're actually in advance offered to get something if you come to the property. So we'll continue here. So that we don't have to pay. Last June planning for the World Series, they booked the Aria Hotel, texting with the hotel host to secure 10 free nights before booking. My husband is the epitome of double check, triple check, double check, get these shit safe, check, check, check. So Marguerite went down to the front desk with her iPhone. Oh, there's no charge for any of it. She confirms the room is calm for 10 nights. Okay, let me stop right here. This is the, the crux of the whole thing. For some reason, she went down to get verification and recorded on her iPhone that she had 10 comp nights. Now, Trader Ruski, I'm going to put you back on here. Can you tell me, Trader Ruski, when you get comped, do you ever go down to the front desk in the middle of the stay and have someone tell you while you record them on your iPhone if you're getting all the nights comped? I do not. I've never done that in my life. I and yes, I, I verify when I'm checking in. Hey, do I have this many comp nights? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, great. And then I go up. I, I don't record it on my phone because I don't think there's a reason to. That's It's not common that you'll get an offer and you'll check out and they try to charge you. In fact, of all the problems I've had, uh, that wasn't one of them. I've had, I've had trouble getting comps up front that I should get. But I've never had the problem where I just check out and, and they're charging me. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's just not something I've really thought of that would happen, nor nor would I have to go down during the stay and record someone at the front desk saying I had the night. That right there is a red flag to me. Why why would she need to do that? Why would she just go down and ask that? But uh, I'll continue playing this here. And the couple says the hotel slow rolled on them, folding on all but three nights and charging their credit card for a full week. Did you send this to the hotel? I did. And what, so... By the way, I, I hate when they use these gambling or poker terminologies during the story. So the, they, they're slow rolling them on, on their calm nights and they fold it on them. Come on, just... That's so corny. Just do the damn story. Getting this, they should have immediately just refunded you. That's what I thought. They said, no, there's a misunderstanding and a miscommunication at the front desk. No dice on the refund. The hotel manager offered just a $100 credit on their four-figure bill. I was getting the runaround. I was getting the hotel call, the hotel call, the host, the host said call your credit card company. Credit card company wouldn't help. I was talking to cut my uh, cousin. She said, you have to call seven on your side. So we shared our hands to the hotel, providing the same text and video, and within days, as a gesture of goodwill, they were refunded their whole bill, more than 1700 You did it! You did it! Seven on your side! We did it, Mom! Seven on your side! They were on my side! In the bullshit section of Staten Island, Nina Pineda, Channel 7. All right. That's it. Hopefully I don't uh, hopefully you guys could hear that. I it's really irritating when the when the sound level is not high enough on something I play here. So I I did I did what I could. I did what I could. You, you rolled the dice, Ruff. I, I rolled the dice. Yeah. I, I I had to fold on the rest of this video cuz it was too soft. No, actually I played the guys the whole thing. I like that they, they said no dice also. They they had to just throw in every single freaking gambling term on this this corny segment, but Seven on your side was on her side, and, and Arya was shamed into comping the rest of it off. What a happy ending. What a happy ending that the corrupt, scammy Arya, after trying to screw this poor woman out of her comps and charge her 1700 something dollars for room charges she should not have had to pay, was forced by Seven on your side 
to do the right thing. Isn't this a happy ending? It may not be. What's happy for Marguerite? And I offered to have her come on this show. And I tried to get clarification from her on Twitter without coming at her in any kind of confrontational manner, but just kind of saying I'm interested in the story. I'd like to know more about it. Uh, but, but careful the way I was phrasing it that I wasn't seeming like I was doubting it, but I'll tell you I was doubting it. First of all, as I already mentioned, why come down to the front desk in the middle of the stay and verify that? Very weird. But okay, you could say maybe she's just paranoid. Maybe she just does, does this every time, and this time it happened to pay off because they screwed her. Okay, maybe she does that. Maybe that's just the thing she does to feel better that she's really getting these comps and that she has some kind of proof that she did. So, but I asked her. Well, this is what I tweeted to her uh, about a day and a half ago. Great job. I would love to know more about this and feature it on my Poker Fraud Alert and Vegas Casino Talk sites. Can you tell us how how they justified these charges? That is the room charges that they said were comped. Also, did you ever speak to the general manager? Hosts are always useless in spots like these, which, which I'll mention shortly, but that's kind of a side note on this whole thing. So Marguerite responded back, manager's reasoning for the charges, quote, the verbal communication from the front desk staff likely stemmed from the clerk looking up the sharing guest's name, who I assume recorded the video, Marguerite, who would not show a rate as she's simply an additional name added. And then she put like a, a rolling eyes emoji. So the, what she's putting here kind of sounds like that it was actually the room was in her husband's name. And that their justification for saying it was comped was that when she came down and asked the clerk, the clerk looked up. Uh, looked up the her looked up her name and said, "Yeah, I don't see any charges on there because she was a a second guest in the room." So yeah, Marguerite, you don't have any charges, so so nothing's going to charge me. No, nothing's going to charge you when when in reality the 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 bill was going into the first person's name, which, which does happen by the way. I have seen it where there's a a second person on my room and, and I'll look at their folio and it's zero, and I'll look at mine and it's the one accumulating charges. So this this actually may have been what happened, but still. That's not really the point here. The point is, did she come in really believing she had 10 nights comp in advance? Well, let's think about this one. Does this happen? How often does this happen? I shouldn't say does it happen. A lot of things happen at casinos. But is it common for someone who's not a gigantic whale, which she isn't, to get offered 10 comp nights not attached to how much they play? Because that's what this was about, is when they checked out, the host is like, ah, no, you didn't play enough to earn 10 nights, you're getting three. And she's like, no, 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 you gave me 10. No, 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 I gave you three. That's that's what this argument came down to. Now, if he offered 10 up front, and then she didn't play much, then it's supposed to be tough luck on him. They're not supposed to revoke the comps retroactively. They they can stop the stay in the middle and say, hey, you know what, uh, uh, we said we're going to give 10 nights, but you're not playing, so get out, spend five nights you haven't played, get out of here. They can do that. But uh, to, to give you comps and then afterwards present you with a bill, they can't do. Which is what she claims they were doing, even if they're unhappy with your play. So the question is, what made her believe that she had 10 nights guaranteed? Well, I will tell you, properties don't do this. Except for huge whales, they do not give you 10 guaranteed consecutive nights in a row. They just don't. They will give you usually up to about five and then after that, they'll say it depends upon play. We'll, we'll evaluate night six, seven, eight as they come. 
and see how much you've been playing the previous days and whether you can continue to stay here comped. That's they're, they're very funny about giving you consecutive nights. Now, if you do a five-night comp and then check out for a few days and come back for another five-night comp, that you can often do. But the ten consecutive days, it's, it's very rare they guarantee it. Then I thought, well, she mentioned about how sometimes they'll do the check-in, check-out game with her and her husband using different offers that each of them got. So maybe they're doing five and five. But they showed the bill on this seven-on-your-side segment, and it was just a straight bill. It was, it was not a checked-out bill in the middle where there would be two bills, one for the first five days, the other for the second five days. Here it was just one straight bill the whole way. So that's not what happened. There was no check-in, check-out thing, even though she's mentioned that they do that sometimes. She didn't say they did that here, but that's clearly not what they did here in this particular case. So throw that idea out the window. So how was she getting 10 consecutive nights, and what made her believe she had 10 consecutive nights? That is what is the big question. So I wrote back to her. I tried to understand it all, but still don't. And by the way, she she didn't respond to my thing about I'd like to have you on. What, what was it? No, no. I said, can you DM me? That was it. When she gave me that first response about what the manager said, I said, can you DM me? I want to discuss this further. Totally ignored that. So then when she tweeted about it again the next day, I responded with, I tried to understand it all, but still don't. Did you have an offer for 10 nights, which they revoked? If not, did you have a written promise that all of those 10 nights would be comped unrelated to play? If so, who made that promise? Well, she answered that one. She said, yes, we had text messages that said we had all 10 nights comped from our host. Upon seeing our bill, our host told us that there was a note on the computer that said she can only comp three nights and the rest would be based on play and the front desk girl must have missed it. Well, okay, I'm not saying that's not what happened, but I'll tell you what's missing from everything they showed on the Seven on Your Side report, both what they showed in the background and the whole story itself. These text messages, which are supposed to be the smoking gun, wouldn't this be the biggest part of the story? A text from the host saying, yes, you have 10 comp nights? Shouldn't that just be it? Shouldn't that be game, set, match at that point? But that was not part of the story on 7 on your side. Nor the, – they kind of reproduced the text. It was weird because they're showing like texts coming in and, and being sent back and forth like at a super rapid pace, which obviously 7 on your side wasn't sitting there filming her texting the, the, man, the, the host a week ago. They were just taking real texts and just – reproducing them back and forth for dramatic effect on camera. But it looked like they were really showing the actual text. They were just showing on a different device that they were reproducing it on. So I, I paused it. They didn't really zoom in on it very well, but I paused it and actually was able to pick out some of these texts and see if this jived with her story. So here was uh, some of the text that I found there. Uh, let me get to it here. She uh, one of the one of the texts clearly showed her host saying the room only. The rest depends on your play. Now this is in response to her asking about what was comp. He like when he said the room only. The rest depends on your play. He was referring to thing the things like. Uh, Food or, or spa or shows, whatever, which would at first back her story. 
He's saying, I'm comping the room only. Well, that's all she's saying here. She got the room. She she only wanted the room comped here. That's all she was saying she felt she was entitled to. So, okay, so far, so good. And again, this wasn't shown clearly on the program. You had to pause it and zoom in. So this is, it's interesting they reproduced what looks like were the real texts, but you were, they weren't really expecting you they're going to pause it and, and look real carefully. But that, that's what I was doing. However, another text that came from the host, which came after she received that bill and was shocked by it. One of the texts that came from the host said, they are investigating with a girl on the front desk to see where, where she read that all the stay is comp. It was a note that per me, as the host, only three nights are comped, and I told you in the text the same thing. Please look at previous texts. Well, that already makes it really suspicious. The host texted her to go back and look at previous texts where he clearly told her he claims. I don't know for sure because we didn't get to see these previous texts. But he claims he told her in previous texts that she's only getting three of the ten comped and the rest is going to be based on her play or his play or her husband's play, whatever. So that not only did he put a note in the computer for the front desk to read, but he told her specifically in previous texts, he claims that she's only getting three nights and told her to look at them. So what would be her response to that? Like, let's say... These previous texts didn't say that. Let's say the previous text really said, uh, I'm giving you 10 nights. Wouldn't her answer be no? I just looked at the previous text and you said you're giving me 10? Wouldn't she be showing these texts to everyone? Even if she blocked out the guy's name and phone number? Wouldn't she be showing this like, hey, here's the text that clearly says I have 10 nights and then I get this bill saying that I owe seven of the nights? That, that would be it. But this was not shown anywhere. And... This text I zoomed in on on the host seems to contradict it by saying, look at previous text. I told you there was three. Here's here's what I think happened. And this is only a guess. So I have no more information on this than you guys do. But this is my guess. I have a feeling that he was only willing to give three of the, the ten nights and she knew that. And she wanted ten. And they had no way to get the other seven. And maybe they didn't even have any comps anywhere else. And they're like, well, let's see if, uh, let's see what happens after three. Let's see if they can give me uh, additional nights and, and maybe see what they're going to be charging me if I don't get them for free. Let's just stay for three nights, see what happens. If we don't like what's going forward, we'll check out, go somewhere else. So she came down there and to her surprise, the front desk girl looked up her folio and said, yeah, yeah, Marguerite Spagnolo, who was this, probably the second person in the room, you know, her husband's the main person. Yeah, I don't see any charges. Well, are there going to be any charges? No, I don't see any planned charges for you for the next seven days. And so she quickly thinks, oh, sweet. Somehow we qualified. Okay. Whips out the phone, gets the woman to repeat it. So wait a minute, so you're telling me that I'm getting seven, that the next seven nights are free? Yep, I don't see any charges that are going to be on your account. Okay. So I think what Marguerite first wrote to me is true. She probably, like, I think what that manager told her is what she's telling me the manager said. And I think the manager is telling the truth, that it was a, a secondary folio that was never going to have charges because she was a, a secondary guest there. And it was on her husband's account. 
that the charges were coming and that the woman in front just read from her. She's like, okay, what's your name? Margaret Spaniolo. Yeah, no, I'm not going to see any charges. There's not going to be any charges for you. So the question is, if this front desk person got confused and didn't notice that she was the secondary person on there and just says, yeah, I don't see any charges are going to come on here. Does this obligate the Aria to give them seven free nights? Do I think it's very possible that Marguerite got confused and really believed they had the, the free nights? Yes. I don't think that, I don't think so much that she was going down to trick the woman. I think that what happened was that she was kind of going down there to see what was going to happen going forward with, with, with the rates and then heard we're getting they're getting it all for free. And it's like, oh, sweet, let me record this just to make sure that uh, if we do get charged that we're going to have a defense. So then the host is like, hey, look, I, I already told you. I, I told you that you're only getting three and the rest is based on your play. And she's like, well, no, but I checked in the front desk and they said we're getting it. And that's where I think the disconnect occurred. That's where, that's where I think both of them got stubborn. The host said, no, you knew the whole way it was going to be three. You knew it's me who decides just because a front desk woman gets confused and looks up your secondary folio and tells you this doesn't mean you're getting it free. And she says, hey, look, this is an employee of the ARIA. You have to honor it. Trader Ruski, if, if this is the way it happened, what do you think the ARIA should have done at that point? I mean, it probably just depends on how good of a customers they are. But, I mean, 10 nights during the WSOP is big. Did she feel she played enough to justify the extra seven nights? She she didn't say that, so I'm guessing no. <laughs> right, which is, you know, I mean, she could have looked up the folio for both of them, but if she didn't check the notes section, I, you know, then do they, I don't know if they put on there that the, that the that things would be comped before the fact. Yeah, they, well, so, so what I really think happened, I think she came down there and just said, I'm Marguerite Spagnolo. do you see, is my room going to be charging me for the next seven nights? And the well, no, it says zero, and I don't see any uh, any charges coming up. Okay, so it looks like I'm not going to be charged. No, you're not going to be charged. Well, she's not going to be charged, but it's her husband's room. It would be it'd be like let's say Trader Ruski. I say, hey, Trader Ruski, uh, come stay with me during the World Series, and then you come down there and present your your ID, and you say, hey, are they going to charge me for my room when it's really my room? And they go, no, uh, Trader Ruski, we we don't see any charges for you. Like, wouldn't it be a little weird that you're not asking? Like, are you going to charge Todd? <laughs> like. If if it's she knew it wasn't her room, but I but I can see maybe she really got confused that because this is her husband, it's a little different than just you and I staying together. It would, it would be because it's her husband, she could have not realized it was two different folios. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt that she really came down there to check on this, got the pleasant surprise there's not going to be a charge, and and then recorded it just to get this on record that that's the way she was told. Uh, the problem is they had a host that was dealing with all this. They shouldn't be asking the front desk. They should be asking the host. And they, they avoided the host because this is a situation which I refer to as don't ask, don't tell. A phrase I got from President Bill Clinton, the policy he came up with with gays serving in the military in the 90s, which a policy which has since been abandoned. But it was one where they will no longer try to investigate who is gay and throw them out of the military for that. But gays are not supposed to announce that they're gay. You're supposed to just kind of be gay in private, and then they won't. They also won't investigate it. So that's, that was the don't ask, don't tell policy. I'm not going to get into whether that was a good policy or not, but that's we've had enough politics on the show tonight. But I'd like to use that phrase related to matters with dealing with businesses when something you just kind of discover something that's in your favor, that if you, you're kind of afraid if you ask too many questions, they will 
correct it back against you, and you won't get this thing in your favor anymore, so you just don't say anything. It's, it's, that's what I refer to as don't ask, don't tell, where you're not actively trying to get something for free, but when it shows up and you're getting something more than you thought you did, you just say nothing. Uh, yeah, say like you open up your cell phone bill and there's a $50 credit that you have no clue how you got it. It just says credit $50 and you have no clue. And you're afraid if you call up the phone company and say, hey, why did you give me a $50 credit? They'll go, oh, wait, that's a mistake. We're going to take it away. So most people, even though they won't admit it, most people will just pay the bill with a $50 credit on there and, and be happy they got $50 off the bill and not ask because they don't want anything taken away. That's a perfect example of don't ask, don't tell. So I think she was doing don't ask, don't tell here, where once she found out that she's getting the nights for free, it's like, okay, well, that's great. That's what we wanted. We're not going to ask any further questions. We're not going to message the host. We're like, We've gotten our answer. We're happy with it. The problem is the front desk, they're not the ones really making this decision. It is the host making this decision. And when you've been dealing with a host about your comps, then it is more up to you to check with a host that you really got comped, not go up as – not have the secondary person in the room come down and say, am I comped? So that's what I think happened here. And my opinion here is that – as Trader Ruski said, 10 nights comp during the main event, not the, during the World Series of Poker, not the main event, but during the World Series of Poker at the Aria is a pretty big deal. It's fairly expensive. And if you're not going to play much, to just get that, you, you, you have to think, especially if you're an experienced person coming to Vegas on offers four times a year, as she claims, that there's something wrong there, especially when the host is saying, no, you're only getting three, no, you're only getting three, and then you barely play, and lo and behold, somehow you're getting the other seven. So you, you should really, really make sure that you're really getting it and not just take the word of a low-level low employee who makes a mistake. What, what if the front desk woman said, you're getting 100 nights comp? Does that mean she should be able to stay there 100 nights? No. At, at some point, you, you have to do a sanity check. Furthermore... When you check in, you, you do sign a paper about that and you, you do – like it's stated up front when you're checking in about what you're paying for and what you're not in most hotels I've been to. I don't know if the ARIA does this, but uh, th- this is something that when she checked in before – even if they didn't tell her a check-in, the host told her beforehand you're only getting three nights. So that's all they had the agreement for. And just because someone – at a lower level says, oh, it looks like you're getting it all for free. That doesn't mean you're getting it for free. You have to, you do have to sanity check it. At the same time, because it's reasonable that she could have been confused by this, and because it's reasonable that she uh, would have gone elsewhere had she known they were charging her for all seven nights, I don't think it's fair to make her pay the whole bill. Since she does have the front desk person saying that you're getting them all free. I think there should have been some middle ground to this. That's that's what I think would have been fair. I don't think she should have had to pay that whole bill. But at the same time, I think she didn't do enough to verify she was really getting those nights free. And she was purposely avoiding talking to the host about it because I think they knew what the answer would be. So I would say something like they should owe half or, or at least a third. So they owed 1700 something dollars. They... I would say make him pay 800 make him pay at least 600 Because it was kind of fault on both ends. 
That, that's what I think. Because she did stay for seven nights, and she did stay at the Aria, and she didn't really earn it. She got something out of it. It's not like she got something useless that she didn't want. It's not like uh, she was ordered some service that she she didn't desire and then didn't show up for it and got charged anyway, and it was a mistake. Like, this, she wanted those nights. She, she needed to stay there for those nights, so she got them. And she didn't do enough to, to, to uh, check into it. So I think the reason she's not answering me very specifically is because she probably knows what really happened. Or if she doesn't, she should. So what happened was she... her. I don't think she's trying to rip them off. I, I really think what she just feels like, hey, an employee told me I'm getting them for free in the middle when I checked. So we stayed, and now they're presenting us with a bill. That's bullshit. And I can see her point. I, like, I can see that point she's raising. And that's why I really feel this is one of the rare cases in a hotel billing dispute where there's fall on both ends. Usually in a hotel billing dispute, one side is 100% correct and the other side is 0% correct. This is one of them where it's kind of in the middle, in my opinion. But this is also why when you see things like this, you need to always take a more critical look. It's easy to hate the casino. It's easy to, to hate the, the hotel. It's easy to feel like the, the person who's being portrayed on TV has been victimized in some way by the cold corporation. And, and sometimes they have. But also sometimes they haven't been. So you just need to look with a critical mind. And if, if everything doesn't add up, the, the first thing that didn't add up to me was why she was comp 10 nights up front. It just didn't make sense to me. So I, the one thing I think she just outright lied to me about was the text message from the host. And, and Marguerite, if you hear this and you want to present to me the text message, you can, you can redact the guy's info if you want. But I'd love to see this text. I think everybody else would love to see this text of the host saying, yes, I'm giving you 10 nights. The guy's saying, hey, go back and look. I only said you're getting three. I, I don't think that's the same guy who would have written you're getting 10. And I think if he did, we'd be seeing it everywhere. That's the most important piece of evidence which we're not seeing. It's kind of an interesting story. And I took a position you probably didn't expect. Maybe you did expect me. They told you to expect me not to do what you'd expect. So then maybe you came into this thinking that I am going to take the casino side. But I didn't take the casino side either. I, I, I'm in the middle. I'm taking a non-committal, middle-of-the-road approach, saying that both sides screwed up. I bet there's some of you thinking, hey, come on, Druff, if this happened to you, you'd be screaming bloody murder and demanding they comp off the whole thing. This wouldn't happen to me because I would know there's something funny about getting 10 nights. I wouldn't just take the word of some front desk employee and go, okay, well, I can record them and that's my evidence. I, see, I wouldn't do that. I would know that I, there would be a headache waiting for me down the line. I don't just trust everything I'm told, even things that are in my favor. Like, like I've ordered, totally unrelated, but like I've ordered food before, like for takeout, and they give me a total, which I know is not correct. It's too low. And rather than going, oh, sweet, I'm going to save money, I go, no, I think you're charging me too little. And I think you're probably missing something. And then they go back, oh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't order this for you. We forgot to enter this in the, in the cash register. Sorry. So, so had I not said anything, I would have been charged less, but then I would have not received the, the other item. So, yeah, I, I could be a dick and just 
pretend I don't notice this and wait for them to give me the order and say, hey, you forgot this, and then expect them to just give it to me for free without charging me again. But, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. If, they, if I know there's a mistake being made up front, I'll correct them. Save all the hassle. So, this is a, kind of a, a strange story, but not as a, I don't believe it's as she is presenting it. I think there's things being left out. As I've explained. And I just hope the front desk girl didn't get uh, canned. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, I, I think they're probably, this, I don't think they'd fire her for this because I, I could see how this would be confusing for her too. Like a woman comes down says, am I going to be charged here? She looks up the woman's name, sees there's no charges and says, okay, there's no charges. Like a, it, it's really more of a fault of the ARIA system, the way it's, it's built. And, and, and a lot of hotels are like this. I've, I've seen Caesar's properties are like this. I, I, uh, had someone staying with me at the Rio, and uh, this I, I noticed this was a situation where one person was showing a zero and the other one was showing the charges. So that's uh, yeah. I'm surprised that the, the response that the front desk is told to give is check with your host. Yeah, that really should be the answer, right? <laughs> that that that's where she messed up. Yeah, I I think she's tried to like, hey, are there going to be any charges? Um, she probably just like. Looked up her name? Yeah. No, I don't see any. Okay, thank you. Can you say that again, please? Yeah, I don't see any. All right, thank you. I just recorded a cell phone video to get you in, get you in trouble. So this wouldn't happen to me. Like, I, I just wouldn't let it happen. I would know not to believe that. And even if it did happen to me, I, I would use common sense. And I'd say, okay, well, this is somewhat my fault for avoiding talking to the person who really does know about this, the host. Now, I want to talk about hosts, though, before we conclude the segment, because she said in the news report, which I believe that she went to the host and they were not helpful. And the host finally told her, just go to your credit card company. Like if you basically if you don't like this decision, go to your credit card company and dispute it and let them decide. Then she went to their credit card company, which is probably why we're just hearing about it now, even though this happened back in June. And she lost the dispute with the credit card company. Which also speaks volumes. Well, let me tell you something about hosts. You should not go to a host to correct billing issues with a hotel. Hosts are kind of an antiquated concept, which I think within not too long of a time will no longer exist at most casinos. They're already phasing them out somewhat. Hosts go back decades, in fact, before I was even born, to where... They, they were originally put in to handle bigger gambling customers, kind of like the whale type, but sometimes even like a step below whales. They were there to just make them feel good and just kind of stay and keep gambling. So it's kind of a person, a handler, a person taking care of you that works for the casino. Hey, you want this? I'll get this for you. Hey, you want that? I'll get this that for you. Uh, let me know if there's any problems with your stay. Let me know if, there, if you've got any issues here. The host wants to keep the whale happy, so the whale keeps gambling and keeps losing money. That was the purpose of the host. The host really was like like a handler that worked for the casino for their best customers. Over the years, the roles of the hosts have changed. Then it became where the hosts weren't just handling the really big gamblers, but also the kind of mid-level gamblers, too. And they would be the ones in charge of handing out comps. 
there was there were offers that would be mailed to people too. But but aside from those mailed offers, there would be, the hosts would well first there weren't mailed offers at all. The ho- you just call your host to, to book things. Then eventually it became a combination of mailed offers and the hosts being able to do things for you. But over the years they keep lowering the power hosts have, and they make a lot of this computerized, where the computer decides what the host can give you. The, the host has a little leeway, but but a lot of times the computer is mainly telling them what they can and can't give. They don't have as much discretion anymore. Hosts do not care about you. They may pretend they do, but they don't. You are just a number to the host. You are someone that they hope stays and gambles. They don't really care if you win or lose. They just kind of want you to run action there because they get a piece of your action. And the more you play, the more they get. That's why hosts get irritated when you stay there and, and, and don't play. And in fact, it, it kind of negatively dings their commission. That's your, not your problem, but that, I'm just saying that that's why they get so frustrated. But hosts are very bad at dealing with hotel billing issues because they don't have the power to correct these things. Occasionally they can call the hotel and lean on them a little bit, but they usually don't. What hosts, because hosts don't work on the hotel side. Hosts have only one power, and that is to comp. That's all they can do is they can comp. So let's say there was a $100 billing error. And you call up your host and they go, there's a $100 billing error at my hotel. and The hotel's not cooperating. Can you fix this for me? If you're a really good customer of the casino and you shoot off a lot of money there and you have a good what's known as a ADT, average daily theoretical, meaning on the average day you're at the casino, how much your losses would be if you ran exactly average luck-wise. That's really what they're looking for. So if your ADT is good, just to keep you happy, what the host will go do is instead of uh, correcting your bill, the host will pay your bill, not out of his pockets, but out of his kind of like discretionary comp fund that he can use to just uh, pay for that bill on the hotel side. So the, so the casino actually pays the hotel for that error on your bill. And this is where people make the mistake. This, that People think that the host is fixing their bill. The host is not fixing their bill. The host is actually comping off the mistake. Which is different than fixing the mistake. Fixing the mistake means just reversing it so the mistake's no longer there. Comping it means the hotel's actually spending the casino's money and giving it to the hotel side to comp this error so the customer doesn't have to pay. You go, well, why does it matter? It's, it's not my money. What matters is that you have a certain amount of comp power. And that like $100 that he may have just spent in comp power to fix your billing error could have been $100 you could have spent some other way, like in the spa or, or, or in a restaurant. Now you usually have $100 less of comp power. Occasionally they won't ding that against you and will just do a, a, a comp out of a discretionary fund they have in general. But sometimes it will come out of your general comp power and you, you won't know. And this still isn't the right way to approach it because what about next time there's a billing problem? Hosts are really not meant to fix hotel billing issues, nor do they feel like delving into who was right and who was wrong, nothing like that. And if you haven't played enough to justify this, the host will tell you, sorry, nothing I can do. And it's very frustrating because you you check in, the host says, let me know anything I can do for you, blah, 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 and it's all bullshit. If anything like this happens, they, unless you're a really good player for them, they tell you to eat crap and... Even if they don't tell you to eat crap, they're actually just comping off the mistake rather than fixing the mistake. This is why you should take care of hotel problems with the hotel, never the host. 
They'll sometimes tell you to go to the host because that's just passing the buck. And I've had that told to me before. I, I, there's a billing error. The front desk says, well, go to your host. So they, they can fix this for you. I go, no, this has nothing to do with my host. Well, hosts fix these. I go, I don't want the host fixing this. It will take away from my comp power. And they say, no, it won't. I go, yes, it will. I know the system very well. Oh, okay, maybe you're right. It will. But <laughs> so, like sometimes they'll, they'll finally concede that I'm right about it. Do not ever go to the host. Even if the host will fix it for you, remember, they're not fixing it. They're just comping it. So who do you go to? Go to the hotel general manager. The higher up you go in the managerial chain at a hotel, the more competent you will get as far as the employee you're dealing with and the more understanding and reasonable you will get as far as the employee is concerned. And they also are a lot more empowered to make decisions. So first go to the supervisor. Then if the supervisor can't help you, ask for the hotel manager on duty. And if they won't help you, then say you want to speak to the hotel general manager, who may not be in at that moment, but find out when the hotel general manager is in. And don't wait for them to call you because they probably won't. Find out what hours they work and call them. I have found in my dealings with general managers, they have solved my problems. There's very few times I can think of in my life where the general manager, especially the casino, where the general manager didn't take care of it, even when I'm completely shut down by the ones below them. Usually the general managers are very nice, they're accommodating, they're reasonable, they're smart enough to understand the whole problem. I I sometimes feel like at the the lower levels they don't want to listen to me or they don't understand it. I'll explain to the general manager, and they'll go, yeah, 100% you're right, 100% you're right. Oh, yeah, like I can tell like they're understanding it, and they're understanding my frustration, and they're not just saying things I want to hear. They're really knowing that what I'm saying is correct, and they, they, they want to help. And even if I'm not totally correct, they sometimes just want to help anyway, just for customer service purposes. That's The general manager's role is really just to make the customer happy and to not to get bogged down in, in, in minutia, nickel, and diming. So even if you're wrong, the general manager will help you sometimes. So she should have gone to the general manager, and I, I don't know if she ever did. I know she tried to dispute it with a credit card and lost. I know she tried to go to the host, and, and he wouldn't do anything. The general manager is who you go to in casino hotels and in non-casino hotels as well. Always get – don't go directly to him, but if you're failing with everybody else, just go up the chain and make sure you don't give up until you reach the actual general manager, meaning the very highest up person on the hotel side. Um, aside from the owner or the vice president or whatever, like there's the, whoever works at the hotel on a daily basis, that is the absolute highest person there that everyone answers to. That's who you want. Not someone from the casino, not a host. Trust me. Trust me on this one, especially. So she did that wrong too, I think. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three. Five five is our number. For the two two four area, we have a gripe. We have a gripe. Druff, it's been like thirty seconds since the free roll ended. Where is my money? <laughs> you know, the person actually raises a good point. I, I haven't been, been. I've been a bit slow paying some people in October. And understand this. Let me tell you how I pay people for the free roll. I, I do it all at once. Like, just I'll, I'll pick a night and I'll just go through like the last few weeks of requests and ship out the money. So if it happens to be like days after you won, you're going to get it fast. If it's been 
three weeks since you won and you're just getting it then, you're getting it slow. Uh, I'm not broke. I can afford to pay you the free roll money. I promise you that. And it's just a matter of the effort to do so. It's not super hard, but everybody wants to be t- paid in different ways. Some people want it, uh, this this method. Some other want some other methods. Some people want Bitcoin. Yeah, it's so I like to just open all those different payment methods at once, and then just go through them all and ship it out. Just kind of when I get around to doing it. And anyone who requests their money will get it. I, I won't, I'm not going to just ignore you and not pay you. I, I get messages sometimes say, "Hey, I've asked three times. Why don't I have the money yet?" Just because I haven't gotten around to it. That's why. I'm, I, I got your messages. Trust me, I'm not going to stiff you. But if, if a long enough time passed and you want to send me a reminder, that's fine too. I'm not going to get mad. Just please don't get mad at me. I won't get mad at you for asking again, but don't get mad at me for paying a bit slow. It's a free service. It's, it's free money. It's not my free money. I, I, I appreciate Eric Benzamokin and the others uh, giving the free money so we can have this free roll every week. But still, it's, uh, it's, it's free money you're getting. And just... Give me a little time. This is a not-for-profit site. So I know the guy from the 224 texted me, obviously, just joking. But you will get your money. But at the same time, I won't get mad if you ask again. Just be aware it will sometimes take a few weeks. Just because that has, that's how long it takes sometimes. I have a thread you can find in the Flying Stupidity Forum which keeps track of who is owed the money. So there can be no more accusations of maybe you're just trying to not pay people. And then keep the money yourself. Ha ha ha. You are making money on the site. Now it's all out there in black and white. Has been now for a year and a half. And you can see everybody who wins, everybody who's been paid, everybody who's not been paid, and those that don't collect their money, I roll it back into the pool. So this way, not one penny of free roll money ends up in my Jew wallet, no matter who claims their money and who does not. It all either goes back in the pool or gets paid. Just not always that speedy. Uh, I am Greek says uh, buy me a steak asshole and he says uh, okay Patron then maybe he's talking to somebody else maybe he's not talking to me (laughs) at first I thought he wrote okay Patreon then I thought he was trying to tell me to go put up a Patreon page which I've considered I've considered at times just like you know what screw it I'm 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 not too proud to beg. I'm going to put a, a Patreon page and ask people to just send me money if they if they like the show. And and I know some people would. Like I, I know it would happen. But then I go, no, you know, I I just I I don't want this look. I I don't want to ask people for money. Even if it's totally voluntary and I state that I don't expect anyone to. I just I I reserve the right to change my mind. But at the moment I'm like, no, I I don't feel like putting up a Patreon page. Just people donate to the free rolls enough. All right, let's move on to the next topic, the Partouche Poker Tour, which probably should be more called the Pardouche Poker Tour, given how it's been run in the past. It is making a comeback that is leaving everyone scratching their heads. Nobody understands why they would want to resurrect such a dreadful poker tour with such a sordid history. The Partouche Poker Tour had an okay relationship for a while, but it's the brand had completely collapsed after the early 2010s. 
the problems at the Partouche Parker Tour, which is based out of France, began in 2009 when the two people who played the main event, uh, they were colluding. The two winners, I shouldn't say the two people who played, the two winners of the main event, Paul Pasqualini and Cedric Rossi, who finished first and second respectively, were actually colluding and giving each other hand signals to show what each other had and then soft playing each other and taking what's known as a best balling approach against other players where whoever had the better of the two hands would continue, the other would fold, and then when they'd end up heads up, they would they would play it very soft so neither would, would take a lot of chips from the other. Obviously, big-time cheating doing that. And finally, on a French poker forum, some suspicious people analyzed everything and the way all the hands went down and figured it out and also figured out the hand signals. And uh, so that had happened. That was the first black eye that the Pardouche Poker Tour got. The next year, 2010, you'd think they'd clean things up and be sure that people aren't cheating. Uh, more hand signal cheating in a different way. Ali Tekin Tamagek. I don't, I don't, that's not how you say his name. Ali Tekin Tamgek. T-E-K-I-N-T-A-M-G-A-C. Tekin Tamgek. I don't know. He was from Germany. And he cheated with hand signals, but not with another player. He had fake bloggers who were there that were pretending to just be blogging on the event. But in reality, these were his friends who were standing behind anyone who wasn't protecting their cards very well and then giving Ali hand signals as to what they were holding. So he was a, he was kind of an early Mike Postle in a way. So Ali then uh, won the 2010 main event of the Partridge Poker Tour. And then this was figured out. Ali was actually tried and convicted for this. Or no, he was tried and convicted for other cheating he did, not this, in Germany. And he was sentenced to four years in prison. But he was never punished for this cheating, which occurred in France. As a result of these two cheating scandals, they actually removed all three of these cheaters, the two from 2009 and uh, Ali in 2010, from the Global Poker Index database. They actually took them out of the Global Poker Index because they didn't feel their results were valid, having cheated their way there. So why are we talking about this now? And why... Is there a problem with the Partridge Poker Tour returning just because they failed to catch two incidents of cheating by players in the tour? I mean, they, they should be better at it, but is that really all that bad that they just didn't catch cheaters on two occasions? Well, the big black eye, the, the giant black eye here on the tournament was what occurred in 2012. And that didn't have to do with cheating by players. It had to do with cheating by the Partouche Poker Tour. Group Partouche the owner of the crew, uh, Partouche Poker Tour, put on a main event in 2012 with a 5 million euro guarantee. Well, unfortunately, they only had 4.25 million euro worth of buy-ins. 
meaning that 750,000 euro was going to be an overlay. And Group Partouche was very unhappy about this. Not only were they not making money, they were actually going to lose money on this main event and lose a lot of money. Uh, When you translated it to U.S. dollars, they were losing about... One million dollars. So they were none too happy about that. Now, this is not new. Uh, Poker rooms have overlays all the time when they run guarantees. That's a risk that poker rooms take when they run guarantees. And I've talked before about unethical things that poker rooms do when overlays start to occur. But what the Partouche Poker Tour attempted to do was just kill the guarantee. No justification. They just said, no guarantee anymore. Sorry. Which is really, really bad. People come there to play a guarantee event. People come there because it's a guarantee event. People come there because they see it might be an overlay. And then the poker tour says, nope, no guarantee after all. We didn't make it. What's the point of a guarantee if you're only going to guarantee it if you're going to hit it? (laughs) Really, really, really scummy. And this was done by Group Partouche the owner of the Partouche Poker Tour. This wasn't done by some individual shady cheater who happened to play. So this is much, much worse than the cheating incidents that occurred in the prior years. Well, there was massive outrage about this, and players complained to gaming regulators in France. Group Partouche realized that they were not going to get away with this, and finally they honored the guarantee. And afterwards, they said that they're taking away the Partouche Poker Tour forever now. They took their ball and went home. That was it. No more. That was the end of it. Seven years ago. That should be it. We shouldn't be talking about it on this show in late 2019, but we are because it's coming back. Group Partouche has announced that there's going to be satellite events at casinos they own that will lead up to a grand final to be held in Cannes, France in September 2020. They've just decided to bring it back. Not under a different name. It's, it's going to be called the Partouche Poker Tour again. I guess they think seven years is enough time to people forgetting that they tried to rip everyone off. I don't know if there's going to be a guarantee in this event. Hopefully there won't be. And I have to... I have to think that there's going to be some objection to this as it gets closer because the poker world's memory is long. Now, were this to be different owners, that would be a different story. They just wanted to retain the brand for whatever reason. We had a story on this site about a smaller poker tour in the U.S. called the iNinja Poker Tour. And the iNinja Poker Tour was run by a, a very shady individual who rip some people off. But then it was bought by two guys who were very reputable and they revived the brand. And they, they wanted, because I covered the story here in Poker Fraud Alert, they wanted it very clear and I, and I read their statement on the show. They made a statement that I read and I believe the statement that they had nothing to do with a previous shady owner. They just decided to take over a, a poker tour that a lot of people liked and that they're going to run it honorably. And as far as I've seen, they have. So just because it has the same name doesn't mean it's going to be scummy like the previous one if it's a different owner. But here it's the same owner. So, so 
if, if you couldn't trust Group Partouche seven years ago, you can't trust them today. They didn't find Jesus in between. Let me guarantee you that. So they, that's coming back somehow. It's come back to life. It's a, the Partouche Poker Tour has w- woken up and has become a zombie. And is walking around France looking to eat poker players' brains. So watch out. Not that much more to say about it. I, just, I couldn't believe it when I heard that story. Of all things to come back, I thought that I thought that was done. They they really just took their ball and went home. They they really were so mad that they had to honor this guarantee. They really just like felt like they were being forced to do something that they shouldn't have to do. And f you guys, we're not having any more partouche poker tours. This is done. We're, that's it. We're done. Screw you guys. Screw the poker community. Kiss our ass. And they're back with no apology, no words about what happened before, no guarantee it won't happen again. What's old is new again. Trader Risky, are you still awake? I sure am. All right. Well, I'd like to hear your opinion on this one. More follies from outside the U.S. This was actually a, a story which Mike Puzzle probably liked reading because it, it distracted some. I wouldn't say it's anywhere near the size of the Puzzle story. But it, it, the Apostle story is starting to get a little stale because nothing has happened with it in the last two weeks. And something new and not really major, but just kind of a story that was so stupid that it got everyone's attention and got people to stop talking about Apostle for a short time. In Malta, there is a, a series that existed for a little while. I'm not sure for how long. But in Malta, there was a... a poker tour going on and let me get to this here I, I usually have these articles up but I didn't this time it's called the Battle of Malta and it takes place at Casino Malta in Malta and there's a number of different events this particular event was the ladies event which took place on uh, the 20th of October. It was event number 28. So this this has existed for a while, and nothing that exciting about the Battle of Malta. Just another poker tour that exists outside the U.S., these are mostly low-limit type events. There is a high-limit event for 5,000 euro. There is a main event for... Let me see. I don't even know. There's so many events listed, I'm having trouble finding it. It's, it's kind of a weird page listing all the events because it's not really in order. But whatever. It's, it's just kind of a minor poker tour, a minor poker event. Not even a poker tour, it's a poker event. But it got in the news from the ladies' event and something really stupid they did there and something that wasn't even planned, something they did on the fly that they inexplicably thought was a great idea. Now, a problem that has been occurring at ladies' events has been men playing in ladies' events. And the World Series of Poker finally took action to prevent that by charging men ten times the amount of the buy-in to play so men wouldn't play anymore. But before that, there would be a number of men playing the ladies' event, some even in drag. Sean Deeb famously 
play the ladies event at the World Series of Poker in drag. But this ladies event, from what I can see from the picture of it that I'm looking at right now, did not have any men, or if it did, there were very few. I can't even see one in the picture, as far as players are concerned. So at least the ladies event really appears to have been all or mostly ladies. However, they decided very shortly before the ladies event was to begin that they were going to do something for the ladies. They were going to do something fun. They decided that instead of just making a regular old event where just only women play, why not give the women some eye candy? So first of all, they went to the female dealers, some of whom have traveled there to deal. So you know, this is their. A lot, you guys don't realize a lot of times dealers will travel to deal. It's not always just locals there playing. In fact, a lot of the World Series dealers have traveled to the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas to deal at it. So it's something you take for granted. These aren't just locals who are showing up for the job. So people travel there. They expect to get a certain amount of work. And so the first bad news was dropped on the female dealers. Sorry, this event number 28, you're not dealing. We're not allowing women to deal the ladies event. Now, why would that be? Why, why would they exclude women from dealing a ladies event? Because they wanted only men dealing. And any man who dealt that event also had to agree to deal with his shirt off. So these dealers dealt shirtless, yet they had little white dealer cuffs on their wrists, and they had the little collar, the white collar with a bow tie, just no shirt. Almost looked like a stripper outfit. And that's the way all the dealers show up. Can you imagine the, the women sit down, <laughs> some shirtless dude sits down and starts dealing to them? Now you may wonder, what do these men look like? Did they look like male strippers? Did they have the six-pack abs and and look fit and muscular? And did, did they at least look like eye candy for the women? Answer, not all of them. Some of them were younger guys who seemed to be at least somewhat fit. They still didn't look like Chippendale's dancers, but the, you can see in the pictures some of them look like young guys who at least take somewhat good care of themselves. But uh, I will say this for Casino Malta. They were not discriminatory looks-wise. They weren't saying you can only deal as if you're young and attractive. They said any male who wishes to deal, as long as they agree to do it with their shirt off, can deal. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're fat. It doesn't matter if you're excessively hairy. doesn't matter what you look like. You can deal if you are willing to do it with your shirt off. As a result, there were some men who took them up on this because the way they enticed the men to do this was that they would get an extra 50 euro bonus for being willing to work this event. <laughs> so some, some of the guys were like, okay, sweet. I don't, I don't care if I'm 60 years old and have a big pot belly and, and a big hairy chest, which is a combination of uh, gray and brown, whatever. I don't care if I gross out the women at the table with my big belly flopping on there. Whatever, I get an extra 50 euro, I'm here to work, I'll do it. And there's a picture of a guy like that. There's a picture of a guy, an older guy, sitting there with his shirt off, a lot of hair on his chest that probably <laughs> some of it may have fallen on the table on the cards. And uh, it's like a bald, older guy 
with his belly sitting on the on the side of the poker table, and he's dealing. The question is, why would they do this? Why? Someone tried to turn the ladies' poker tournament into like like a male strip show in a way. And if you think I'm exaggerating, they also offered an additional 50 euro. This is above the 50 euro bonus they were already getting. An additional 50 euro bonus if they're willing to show up and do a dance on center stage before taking their seat to deal. <laughs> and that part of the story is being left out in a lot of outlets I see reporting it. There's a lot of news outlets reporting this. This is by no means a poker fraud alert exclusive, but I'm not seeing that reported very much, but that's the truth. They were they were paying an extra 50 euro for anyone who's willing to do a dance on stage. Again, no matter what they look like, you can, you can be a 60-year-old guy with a big belly swinging back and forth. As long as you, you're willing to go upstage and do a little dance, they'll give you an extra 50 euro. Somehow they thought this is going to be appealing to the women. It, it had to be men that came up with this. A, a lot of men don't understand uh, that women aren't, visual in the way they're attracted to people in the same way men are. I mean, yes, women appreciate good-looking guys. Women are attracted to men who have physical attributes they like. That's all true. But just dropping men without their shirts on in front of women, it's not going to impress them. It's just going to make them feel weird. It's the same reason why when guys send dick pics unsolicited to women that they meet on dating apps, they never get a good response. No matter what their penis looks like, they can have like the nicest penis in the world. Uh, the women don't want to see that. Like they, they're like, if a woman sends nude pictures of herself to a strange, a man she doesn't know, a lot of times the man will say, oh sweet, I'm getting na- naked pictures. But women aren't like that. Women usually is like, why are you sending me this? I don't want to see this. You seem like a creep. Women, a, a lot of their attraction comes from other factors than just raw sexuality. So, Yes, there's male strip clubs, but the women go there specifically knowing that's why they're going there. They, they know they're going there to see uh, muscular guys dancing and, and all that and uh, putting on a little show they're putting on there. They're, they're going specifically for that purpose. They don't just like half-naked guys just dropped in front of them saying, hey, you know, you're supposed to like this because these are men and you're women. So there were a lot of complaints about this. Some called it sexist. And I'm talking about the women. Like the women were, were very unhappy about this for the most part. Some referred to it as sexist from two angles. Some felt it was sexist against males, that is objectifying males. And some felt it was even hypocritical if you're going to complain about women being objectified that now they're objectifying men. Some felt it was sexist that they are making the women play under these circumstances but not the men. That somehow they think that dropping men with their shirts off is supposed to impress women, but they don't see a need to do this the, the same for men. Some other women felt bad for the male dealers, saying this was degrading for them. Some felt the whole thing, thing was just embarrassing for everybody, including the players. Some women called it disgusting, and there is even one woman who complained that she was a lesbian, and she didn't like being forced to be dealt to by shirtless men. <laughs> That really happened too. There's no doubt this is a very stupid decision. And they held to it though. 
the the event was dealt in its entirety by men with no shirts. Now, the men were not forced to do it. If you came there to deal that event and you said, no, I don't want to deal with my shirt off, they'd say, fine, you just won't deal this particular event. You'll, you can deal other events. You just, you're not going to deal this one with your shirt on, but the next event you can deal, we're not going to fire you. But if you wanted to deal this event, if you plan to deal that event, if you needed the money from dealing that event, you needed to take your shirt off. And if you were female, you were out of luck. You could not deal, no matter what. Then maybe they should have hired uh, a few token female dealers for the lesbians. Maybe they should have. That's a, that's a mistake. Maybe they should have had some uh, topless females there. Well, this story got bigger and bigger because poker players always want something new to talk about and complain about. So uh, there, there's a lot of faux outrage about this on Twitter. And trust me, this was dumb. This was poorly conceived. The... What, what they were going for here was never going to work. You can't just arbitrarily decide to turn a regular ladies' event into uh, a poker version of a male strip show. Whoever did this just didn't understand women, period. And very few women like this, both women that were there and, and women just observing from the outside. So, But at the same time, it, it didn't deserve like massive outrage. There were some people treating this like this is one of the most horrible things that's happened in poker. No, it was just stupid. It didn't harm anyone. It was just stupid. It was stupid and it was tone deaf, is what it was. So finally, on October 21st, just a day after the outrage broke out, they had to make a statement. So this is what they put out. After a careful reflection, we would like to apologize wholeheartedly for any offense caused during this year's ladies event our intention at the battle of malta is to create a fun and welcoming atmosphere for everyone at all times during the festival we respect all our players and staff and certainly had no intention intention of upsetting anyone or making anyone feel uncomfortable we seriously apologize if this was the case at any time we take great pride in our events and are fully committed to our inclusivity policy as a gesture of appreciation for everyone who took part in the event we are donating all registration fees from the ladies' event to our nominated charity, Pink October Malta, which I don't know exactly what that is, but it must be some kind of women's charity made for breast cancer. We are very determined to grow the ladies' event at Battle of Malta, and we are happy to announce that next year's ladies' event will have a guaranteed prize pool of 25000 which I hope is not guaranteed by the Part 2 Spoker Tour. We really look forward to seeing you all at the Battle of Malta 2020. So they realize they screwed the pooch on this one and basically had to issue a, an apology. Notice from this apology what's absent, though. They are not promising that the men will be wearing shirts next year. That's absent. So they, they can do it again. They're reserving the right to do it again. They have not promised that the males will be clothed this time. I think what they should do, if they really want to drum up more business, they should say, in the spirit of equality that next year one of the events will be men only and that the female dealers will all be topless. That would be, get a lot of people. I bet you'd get a lot more entrance to that one. Though I, th- I think they'd have to be a little bit more discriminating as to which female dealers they hire. It, it is funny, though, that like they want to do this, but then they're like, well, we're not going to exclude people. Like they're sensitive enough to not exclude the uglier old gu- or fat guys, <laughs> but, they, but but they don't realize how stupid and, and kind of offensive this was in the first place. 
I, I think it actually would have gone over better if they excluded the guys that really didn't look that good. I think at least I mean, it, it still would have been received poorly, but at least like the, the the picture that was going around everywhere was of the older guy with a pot belly with it hanging on the on the table. That's that's what was really pissing everyone off is seeing him. I I feel bad for this guy. It's like, how would you like to be the face of the ugly shirtless dealer at the Battle of Malta? How would you like to be the guy that's said to be grossing out all the women at the Battle of Malta when all you're trying to do is just deal cards and make money? You, it's not even like you you wanted to put you take your shirt off for them. You just you just felt like you had to to do your job. Otherwise, they weren't going to let you do your job. I feel bad for that guy. Like, and of course, like it's not like this guy was like unusually ugly or anything. He was just he was just an older guy who had a fat stomach and was kind of hairy. That's that's all. Like he he didn't look unusual for his age. He just isn't someone that you would want to see dancing on stage. He's he's not someone that uh, women are going to drool over when they, when they're naked. As is the case for most older guys. So maybe they should have uh, only hired guys under a certain age or something. That's the way they could have done it without looking like jerks, too. Like they, instead of picking and choosing, no, you're 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 too ugly. No, you're too fat. Like they could just say, okay, well, all men under thirty-five can do it. And then if there happens to be like a fat one, a fat hairy one in there, then there is. But they just shouldn't have done it. That's the truth. But we're trying to reach Trader Ruski, and for whatever reason, we... No, I'm back. Oh, you're back. back. Okay. I don't know what's up. I restarted my phone. Okay. 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 But it's just so amazing how how just tone deaf they are. And I mean, if this happened in the States, I'd imagine there'd be tons of lawsuits from the dealers. Yeah, it did, it seemed it did seem kind of discriminatory to say the women just can't work. It was, it was decided abruptly, too. Like, the women went there to work... And they're told, "Oh no, you're actually you can work any event, but this one we're not we're not letting you work this one because you're female." Yeah, that's I would think that would be violating all kinds of things in the U.S. Well, and just just like a hostile work environment, yeah. making them take their their <laughs> shirt off and they're trying to pay the rent. I mean, it's unreal. And, and especially because they didn't sign up for it wasn't like this was like a stripper job they signed up for. This was something that was it's just a poker dealer job where they decide at the last minute, nope, you're not you're not going to have the job unless you take off your shirt. Yeah, <laughs> that's. Uh, but people hear about like a, a topless dealer event. They're the dealers are forced to deal with topless, and p- guys are like, "Oh, sweet, I want to see this." Like, "Oh, no, that's not what I wanted to see." So. All right, uh, let's move on to the next subject here. I want to give you an update on what's going on at the Venetian, a story which has kind of died, but I'm going to bring it back to life. And you may have seen my post on Poker Fraud Alert about it, and I want to tell you right now that my post on Poker Fraud Alert about it – didn't mean to play that, but good enough. My post on Poker Fraud Alert about it was incorrect. I posted something that it's probably not going to meet the guarantee, or, or should I say the maximum. Uh, I think it actually – I was posting – I was posting I think it is going to, and I now think it may not because I, I miss – understood something, though it was really their fault that I misunderstood it. So explaining what the hell I'm talking about here, if you remember last month, right before a story about a gentleman named Mike Postle came out, the poker world was up in arms that the Venetian was holding a series of tournaments, which on the surface appeared to be guaranteed tournaments, but in reality were total prize pool tournaments, meaning that they decide in advance what the prize pool is going to be, and no matter how many people show up, 
it's going to be that prize pool. Meaning that if a whole lot of people show up, it's still that prize pool. And that means every entry past a certain point does not add to the prize pool and they just pocket the entire entry, which is really brutal. And they were not very honest about it in their promotional material or their sheets that they hand out, like the structure sheets and other things. They, they buried this in the fine print, which is the biggest problem. At least, if they're totally upfront about it and people still want to play, fine. I, I still think it's a bad precedent to set for tournament poker, but at least they're being upfront about it. Here they were being intentionally confusing about it. And basically, in my opinion, lying by omission or lying by burying something, not really omission, but burying something into the fine print that people aren't going to normally look at. We even made a call to them. We made a prank call to them where the guy stayed on the phone for a surprising amount of time and actually did a pretty good job defending it, even though it's pretty indefensible. But this tournament was not to take place for about another month. And then the Mike Passel scandal broke, and then people kind of forgot about this. This was that everybody was talking about for a while, boycott the Venetian, this is awful, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then no one talked about it anymore because this became a secondary story. It, it, it did for the Venetian what 9-11 did for Gary Condit when his uh, staff member who disappeared that he was having an affair with and turned out she was murdered. Uh, that was the story for about... A month, the big story in the news in 2001, and then 9-11 happened and everyone forgot about Gary Condit. He was the uh, the only American happy about 9-11. By the way, isn't it funny that we're talking about politicians having sex with their staffers again? Twice in one show? Wow. Well, back to the Venetian. Their tournament series started this week. It quietly started. We talked about it last month, but now it quietly started. And what everybody was wondering, if they were paying attention, is will it reach the maximum to where there's no longer an overlay and and then it transitions to just confiscating everybody's buy-ins beyond that? Now, for a little while after it reaches that level, it's okay to confiscate the buy-ins because there is no entry fee. So let's let's take a look at the event number one which is the 150k total prize pool and $250 buy-in event. There is no entry fee. So every $250 goes fully into the prize pool and they're not collecting any of it for themselves. But once you get past 150k, then they keep 100% of every entry. So since the casino does have to collect a fee, since they do have to collect a rake, at least somewhat past 150000 maybe 20%, 25% is reasonable that they're keeping for themselves. But beyond that, then they're really just keeping everyone's money. And there's the psychological effect of this, too, that every person entering is just not contributing to the prize pool at all, and it's just another person to get through, which is just an awful thing to think about. So the question was... How many people are going to show up for this? And if people start to notice that there's going to be an overlay, then are they going to show up anyway, despite the fact that they claim that they're going to boycott it? You know, poker players, they're pretty self-centered. So even if they hate this in theory and want to boycott it, if they see a huge overlay, can they really stay away from it if they're local? So they had six starting flights of which four have completed. One is taking place as we speak. 
and the sixth one is going to uh, going to take place tomorrow, October twenty sixth. So this is how it's doing so far. Now note that they need six hundred people in order to stop the overlay, because with six hundred people, that's six hundred times two fifty. That equals one hundred fifty thousand. So if they get fewer than 600, it's an overlay. If they get a little more than 600, let's say they get up to like 750, then it's kind of a normal uh, rake, normal to good rake. If they get more than 750, then it's terrible. And will players be smart enough once they get up past the 150,000 mark to just stop registering? Or will people say, screw it, I want to play anyway? So we're going to have to see what happens. Not surprisingly, most people did not want to play at the beginning. They wanted to see how this would shake out. So on day 1A, they got a whopping 34 people. And of those 34, only four survived. <laughs> so, so that uh, four moved on to day two from day 1A. They only got 34 entries. Day 1B. Now, this is where I got confused. I had thought that they got a lot more people. It turned out they didn't. It turned out that the numbers they were giving were actually the total numbers, adding A and B together. So what they actually got was 39 more people, still uh, a tepid number of people entering. They, they need to average over 100 a day. To, they need to average 100 a day, exactly 100 a day, to get to the 150K. So they got 34 than 39. On day two, five people made it through. So that made it 73 players total. With nine advancing. Day 1C. Day 1C, they got 56 people. An increase, but still way below the 100 average that they need to be getting. So that made a total of 129 people through flights A, 1A, 1B, 1C. Eight people advanced that day out of the 56. So 17 people remained out of 129. Day 1D, yesterday, was the last day I have data for. They had finally close to what they need to average for a day, but it doesn't make up for the short days before that. They got 95 people to make the total 214. And of those 95, 16 survived. So at the moment, they have 33 out of the 214 remaining. So in days 1E, which is taking place right now, and 1F, they need to get 386 people to make an overlay, or to, to avoid the overlay. And they posted on their Twitter, which of course doesn't mean much, looking like it'll be a rake-free event as we currently have nearly a $100,000 overlay. But that, that doesn't mean much because they're not even through the day one. So they, you can't talk about an overlay until, especially an event like this where everyone's kind of waiting, until the whole thing's over. So that's kind of a stupid thing to say. And to say looking like it's going to be a rake-free event, it doesn't look like anything because we, we have to see. This is unprecedented territory. We have to see what's going to happen here. Now, before when they, I, I really thought they were just like, the numbers they were reporting were in total numbers. It was, it was numbers per day, so I thought it was adding up very fast, so I thought it was going to definitely go over 600, but now that I see this is the total, I, I think it could go either way. I could see it where maybe days 1E and F, especially F, will get a ton of people who are excited about the overlay. 
And I could see it to where people just stay away and say, screw it, and they don't get there. I think the temptation is going to be too great, and they're going to get somewhere around 600. That once they get to 600, people kind of feel funny about buying in at that point and won't. But some might. The reason some might is because it won't matter to each individual that their buy-in is going directly into the Venetian's pocket. All they care about is the prize pool. So let's say 600 people have entered, and you're going to be person 601. It's true they're going to keep your entire buy-in, but another way to look at it is that there's a 0.16% rake on the whole thing, which is great. Imagine if all tournaments you played were 0.16% rake. That would be spectacular. And that, that's what this would be if it had 601 people. So that's the way some people will probably look at it. I think they will blast over 600 and that people will keep signing up as long as the effective rake is about equivalent to what they think uh, is normal. If it's normal or less than the normal rake that there would be on a $250 event, then people will keep signing up, especially because some pros are staying away from this just because they want to boycott the Venetian. So the field might be softer. I kind of sound like I'm advertising for it. Sorry to the poker community if I'm somehow getting them more players. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see. I, I wish I could see the future here. If we had the show a few days later, I could tell you for sure what they ended up getting. But we will have to wait. I will report on the numbers on next week's show. And also by then we'll have numbers for other events they're running, where it's much smaller events where there's a, a much smaller total prize pool compared to the buy-in size. Some as low as like, 30 times the buy-in, which means once they get past 30, there's no longer an overlay, which is crazy. So we'll see how this goes. We'll see if there really is a big backlash to this, or if it will just kind of pass by and nobody's going to care, even though there's outrage at the beginning. And we'll see if Venetian chooses to run this again. They, were, they weren't phased by all the criticism. They're, they're, they dealt with the criticism, and they're, they're still running it, exactly as they said they would. But if there is an overlay or if the amount of rake they're making is too low of a percentage, they may just not do this again because they'll be getting the combination of bad press and not making money from it. It's a one-two punch of fail. So we will see. If you want to follow it, you can follow the Venetian Poker Director's Twitter, which is at VenetianTD, at VenetianTD. You will see the reports on this. This is a Tommy LaRosa's Twitter. He's been the tournament director for seven years, by the way. They just don't give a crap of Venetian. They don't care if they piss people off. They just they do what they want. They're the ones who introduced the triple zero roulette for the first time in Las Vegas. People didn't like that. They said, we don't care. They, the Venetian just doesn't give a crap. All right, moving on, I want to play you a promotional video from IGT, which is a very big gaming machine company. They make most of the slot machines that you see in casinos. I don't know what percentage, but a very healthy percentage of them. And video poker machines as well, just 
machines running in casinos, a lot of them are IGT machines. And they've been around for a very long time. In fact, uh, when I was in college, my freshman year in college now, which is getting close to 30 years ago, one of the guys in my dorm had a summer job at IGT. So that's how long they've been around. I mean, they've been around, I don't know when they started, but I know for sure they've been around for at least 30 years. I think it stands for International Gaming Technology. So they have rolled out a smartphone-based cashless system where using your smartphone, you can do everything. You can use it to pay for things at the casino. You can use it as your player's card. You don't have to carry around a player's card anymore. You can load money directly into slot machines. And when you bust, just reload again from your bank account. No more cash you have to bring to the casino. Just directly take money right out of your bank account. What could go wrong there? Responsible gambling, everybody. So this promotional video released by IGT is not aimed at the customer. It's, it's aimed at casinos to get them excited about this new technology. And it features two characters. Now, you can only hear this video, obviously, since this is an audio show. But I will describe what's going on, and for the most part, listening to it is enough because they're describing what's happening. They're conveniently describing the action, so I can play this on the radio and you'll understand it. It's featuring two characters named Bob Today and Bob Yesterday. Bob Today is the character that exists in the world where he can use his smartphone for all of this IGT technology to make everything so convenient in the casino. And Bob Yesterday, played by the exact same actor wearing a different shirt, is the Bob who can't do all this stuff and keeps running into frustration at the casino. I'm going to play you this video and comment on it. We're going to try to – let me try to get Trey Daruski back. I want to get his reaction to Bob Today and Bob Yesterday. It's a funny video. And I'll tell you where to find it after I play this to you guys. I think he's had phone problems tonight. I don't believe it's on my end. If we can't reach him, we'll just go on. We'll go forward. Well, whatever. We will have to move forward without Mr. Trader Ruski. So here is the IGT video about their slot machines of the future. Using your smartphone to directly withdraw from your bank account as you chunk it off in slot machines. Here you go. It's Bob's favorite night to visit the casino. And remember, this is aimed at casinos, this commercial. This is not is a little promotional video for about four minutes that's aimed at casinos, not the gambler, not the consumer. Very important to remember that as you listen here. First, he'll get revved up at his favorite coffee shop. With just one swipe of his phone to pay, he's on his way. At the casino, Bob's feeling the excitement. Sounds like fun, right? Well, as long as you're Bob today and not Bob yesterday. Let me explain. While Bob today immediately heads for his favorite game, Bob yesterday has to deal with a few things before he can have fun. Where's that loyalty card? Is it in the car? At home? Looks like Bob yesterday has to go to the player desk to get a new card. While Bob today finds his favorite machine and cards in with his phone and IGT cardless connect, Bob yesterday finally emerges from the player desk. 
I have to admit that this is something that's really annoying. I'm sure you guys have run into it too. When you forget to bring your player card or you lose it somewhere and you get to the casino and you just want to get started and you go, oh shit, I have to go to the player desk and you go there and there's a tremendous line and then you go, no, you just, it's just so off-putting. It's such a bad start. So I'm kind of relating to this. I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of wish I was Bob today. Now he just needs to stop by the ATM. But there's a line there too. Bob today just hit a bonus. No hassle waiting to get the payout. Bob can easily add the cash to the account on his phone. Bob today is ready to try another game. No worries if he forgets to cash out or loses his ticket. With IGT's secure digital solution, Bob just uses his phone to transfer funds. So what they're saying here is that not only can Bob today deposit into the slot machine through his bank account using his smartphone, but he can also withdraw and put the money back into his bank account. So he he never has to handle cash. I I can't relate to this one as well because I don't go to the ATM machine. I I bring money to the casino. Going to the ATM machine is stupid. First of all, if it's like 20 bucks, the the fees are getting outrageous at the ATM machines. So I can't relate to that line. In fact, my my thought wouldn't be the line. My, My thought would be like, Oh, I got to pay a twenty dollars fee. Like the Jew and me couldn't pay that twenty dollars fee. I'll be honest. I, I'll just walk out of the casino, right? I'll, I'll drive to a bank somewhere, something like that. But um, I, I can see obviously why casinos would want this, where someone can just spend money directly out of their bank account and then put it back in their bank account. It, just, it t- makes the process so much easier, and it produces the number of employees they need to work the cashier and it this this would be great for casinos to have this for several reasons bob yesterday is finally ready to play while bob today is already cashing out of one game with his phone and moving on to another bob yesterday is ready to cash out of his first game but the ticket printer is out of paper now he'll have to wait for an attendant yeah, I hate that too. <laughs> they are pretty good in this video about pointing out like really frustrating things you run into in casinos. It's uh, they're actually showing a picture where it says printer tilt, and that's really what it says. It actually says printer tilt on these on these slot machines when you want to cash out and it can't print the ticket. And it, it's appropriate because you are on tilt when printer tilt happens, because you have to wait and wait and wait for someone to come here and and fix the printer from either being offline in some way or out of paper or whatever the hell's happening to it and you can't leave you're you're a prisoner until that technician gets over there because that's your money in there so you can't just go oh the wait's too long i'm leaving you're 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 really just trapped until they fix it and i've i've had to sit there a long time before and i'm like hitting the call attendant button no one's coming i can't walk away from the machine because my money's sitting in it so you're just trapped there and you feel like shouting hello can someone come here hello hello it's really frustrating. So they're, it's a good video. They're, they're good at capturing the, the frustrating element of the casino and how Bob today doesn't have to go through them. Yesterday hasn't played much. He'll meet some friends at the bar. If he wants to buy a round, he'll have to redeem a ticket or use a credit card. Bob today is ready to buy his friends a round of drinks. He'll just use his IGT Resort wallet to cover the bar tab. On his way to the bar, Bob yesterday walks by a bank of Fortune Link machines, oblivious that the casino is offering free play. Bob today walks by and receives Fortune Link free play offers on his phone from IGT Intelligent Offers. Okay, now let's hang on a second here. That's That sounds good on the surface, that it's alerting you that you have free play and that Bob yesterday just 
doesn't even know he has the free play and, and wastes it. Whereas Bob today, as soon as he walked by a machine that he's qualified for free play on, says, hey, Bob, you, you, you can play. Here's some free play for you. But what, what does that mean? Let's, let's think about the greater implications of this. That means it's tracking you as you're walking through the freaking casino. That means it always knows where you are. Big Brother's watching you. It's, a, it's actually saying you walk by specific machines, and then it says, hey, you have free play on these machines. It's not saying that they inform you that you have free play in general. They're saying that you walk by, in this case, Fortune Link machines, and the Fortune Link machines go, hey, hey, you're right here in front of us. Hey, you have free play, Bob, today. Like They're really watching every move. You're actually letting the casino know constantly where you are. And you can say, well, they have the eye in the sky. They've been doing this for decades where they just they watch where you are. But uh, they're not watching you. They're watching the whole casino. They're only watching you if there's a reason to watch you. Here, the casino is really monitoring every step you take. And that's kind of scary. At the bar, Bob yesterday digs into his wallet to settle the tab. While Bob today just takes care of everything with the convenience of his phone and IGT Resort wallet. Okay, I'm going to stop right here. Now, this is where I wish you could see the video. Bob today, who's a lot happier than Bob yesterday while he's buying people drinks, he's sitting next to two people. And keep in mind, Bob today and Bob yesterday showed up alone. They both, you clearly saw them walk into the casino alone. So they, for whatever reason, are going to gamble alone. I, I don't even know who they're buying drinks at the bar. Like, this isn't common for someone, to, like a stranger, to show up and dry, buy other strangers drinks. But that, that's what Bob today did. So he's sitting between a guy and a girl. Like there's, there's an attractive girl next to him, and there's a guy next to him. And remember, he doesn't know any of these people, presumably. I know I'm reading too much into this, but just bear with me. He doesn't know any of these people. He's just sitting with them at the bar. He buys them both a drink just because he's feeling generous. The girl is looking at him like she's really interested. Like, like the girl's really into Bob today. She's looking at him. She seems like she really wants to talk to him and get to know him. He, he's ignoring her. He high-fives the guy next to him. He's closer to the guy. There's like these stools they're sitting on, and he, he's moved his stool closer to the dude and away from the girl, who, again, is very attractive. And he high-fives the guy. He barely looks in the direction of the girl he bought the drink. But wait, there's more. After leaving the bar, Bob today is ready to enjoy that free play. So he taps his phone on the machine and starts playing. Bob yesterday wants to play more, too, so he's back in the ATM line. Bob today even takes a few seconds to bet on tonight's big game. It's easy with IGT PlayShot. So they're saying that you can even sports bet with it. So they're, they're saying this is really covering everything. You can you can use it in machines, and you also use it to sports bet, and you can use it to buy things at the casino. So they're saying that your, this app on your smartphone can do everything. He's betting the line, not waiting in it. Meanwhile, Bob Yesterday just keeps on waiting. While he waits at the ATM, Bob Yesterday ponders whether he wants a buffet, more drinks, or anything else at the casino. While Bob Today keeps on having fun, his fun's easily accessible on his phone. Now, by the way, that same woman has followed Bob Today over to the slot machines he's playing. So Bob Today, kind of oblivious to everything, just goes to a slot machine after after he bets the game. Well, he's like sitting there at a slot machine, takes a moment to bet this some sporting event then goes back to the slot machine. And that same woman he bought the drinks for has followed him over to the slot machine and is sitting next to him and is trying to talk to him, and he's ignoring her again. He kind of like gives her a quick smile and goes back to what he's doing. Totally oblivious, Bob today. Or, or is he? Or is it possible that Bob today is Bob gay? By the end of the night, Bob today has played some exciting games and had a great time. 
Bob yesterday had fun too, but he wonders why his favorite casino couldn't be more like his favorite coffee shop. Where well, he didn't look like he had fun the whole time. Bob yesterday was frowning in this video and is furrowing his brow. It's like it's the same actor and it's supposed to be the same guy, just like two versions of the same guy. But they they have the Bob yesterday constantly furrowing his brow, so he kind of looks unhappy and almost looks older. So the Bob today looks like a more attractive character, even though they they dress both of them fairly well and their hair looks nice and all that stuff. It's not like Bob yesterday looks terrible, but they they kind of just make him look older. He just paid with his phone. Time to cash out and call it a night. It's easy for Bob today through his phone, while Bob yesterday has to find the ticket redemption machine and wait in line again. <sighs> Bob today gets a message on his phone that he's been comped with a free steak dinner. He'll stick around a while. While Bob yesterday walks out, not knowing that the casino wanted to offer him a steak dinner too. Well, that's not quite accurate.、Uh, now, by the way, this this is something that is coming, and that is they're going to put an end to this ridiculous thing. And I I never understood why it was done this way, at least not in modern times. Why it takes like months until you start getting your comps. In relation to what you just played, so you can show up to a casino, let's say a new casino you've never been to before, get a player's card, run a lot of heavy action, and you won't get any offers at all for at least a few weeks. Then, when you get offers a few weeks into it, it'll be like really crappy offers that are almost insulting. And then, if you don't respond to them, about two two months later, three months later, you'll start getting the better offers. Now, you might say, well, maybe they just want to get see if they can get you down there by by putting the crap offers out there first, and if you don't bite, they they offer you the better things. That's possible, but I I just don't think that's the right way to approach it because all like if you have a, a, a middle stakes or high stakes player and you're offering him like ten dollars in free play, he's just going to think that the casino is being cheap with him. He's going to get pissed. It's better to do no offer than something like that. So I I don't know why they don't just come out with whatever offer they think will get him in there and not try this like give him a terrible offer first and then up it if he doesn't show. But but even if you want to say that's the right strategy, why still does it take so long? They they know about your play right away, so why does it, it still take weeks or a month to generate any offers at all? And I never got an answer to that. I never figured out that why that was. And I always said the the smartest thing for these casinos to do is to do instantaneous offers, which keeps them there. And and you can tell by the way this video is being framed here, they're they're really aiming this at the casino. Like, how do you keep your customer here for as long as possible? They don't directly come out and say so he gambles and loses all his money, but that's what they're implying. They even show Bob yesterday going to the ATM a few times, which they wouldn't want to show in a video aimed at customers. They want to show customers winning all the time. Here, they're mainly showing them losing. So they're they're trying to say Bob today is going to just constantly stay on property. You're going to keep giving him reasons to stay on property, and in fact. His play, whatever that qualifies him for, he's going to know about immediately and get the offers immediately, so he gets to redeem whatever he's earned from his play right away instead of waiting for an offer that may or may not bring him back because he doesn't feel like coming back or lives too far away or whatever. So that is coming soon. I've heard about that coming soon. Independent of this whole IG, IGT thing, they're calling IGT Advantage.、Uh, th- this all casinos are going to try to do better on this. If try to do instantaneous or near instantaneous offers. Uh, so that's what their claim is happening here to Bob today. Reminding him that there are lots of ways to win big. Bob yesterday's night at the casino may have been typical, but it was so yesterday. Bob today did what consumers do today: enjoy the convenience of app-based purchases. 
Plus, his favorite casino leveraged a secure solution that eliminated concern about cash changing hands or being compromised. Muted myself there accidentally, but guess who is sitting next to the woman again? And guess who isn't caring that much? I mean, yeah, he, she's pointing to something on a slot machine. Like, oh, great. Look at the, you know, she, she's pointing to something he's probably winning. And he, again, he's, he's interacting the very minimum with her. Like, he really doesn't want to talk to her that much. Like, he doesn't hate her, but kind of like she's a little bit of a nuisance instead of doing what most dudes would do. Like, if a hot chick is following you around the casino and just is finding any excuse to talk to you and you're not getting the vibe that she's a prostitute, I guess it's possible this woman's a prostitute, but assuming she's not, uh, assuming she's not a gold digger, why doesn't... Bob today go for it. even if she is a gold digger like you know have have one night of fun or something I, I I'm just I'm not sure what Bob today is doing here he he has the perfect uh, way to end the night he should get up from the slot machine and get a room in the hotel which they can probably instantly comp him that he's earned from his play that that's the way they should end this video is Bob today has earned a hotel comp, and then he and the the woman walk up there together that that would be the perfect end of the night for Bob today and they say. Bob yesterday doesn't know he has a hotel comp, and he's too cheap to pay for a hotel room. So he he goes home to pleasure himself. That would really convince them to carry this product. IGT Cardless Connect and Resort Wallet delivers safety and security through digital transfer of funds. Nobody builds a business plan on yesterday. Let your IGT account rep show you what's possible today. And by the way, he moved seats now. <laughs> it's like he wanted to get away from the woman. She's still there, but he, he moved seats to where there's another woman in between them, like an older woman. And, and with her, he's talking more. So it's like, get, get this woman away from me who's like in my own age group who's attractive. Like I, I'll sit next to the older woman that it's not likely this is going to happen. With Cardless Connect, Resort Wallet, and Intelligent Offers. Wouldn't you rather win than wait? If you prefer winning with increased time on device and comprehensive use of your integrated resort, take full advantage. Ah, so they say, would you rather win? They mean the casino, not the player. With IGT. Mm. The future is coming. Now, will you see this in Las Vegas? Is this something that will show up soon? Maybe at the new Revel... No, the new, I keep saying Revel, the, the, the new resorts world they're building. Trey Daruski, back on the line. Do you think you're going to see this in Las Vegas sometime in the next few years? I'm sure it's an easy way to get money out of everybody. It is, but there's a reason you won't see it. It's illegal. The state of Nevada will not allow this. This is actually aimed at other markets. Uh, so that's something, at least at the moment, that Nevada does not allow for responsible gaming concerns. I thought the girl was going to be a prostitute and took the cell phone payment. (laughs) Right. They should add that too. Um, Bob yesterday wants to, wants to engage in the hooker services, but he just doesn't have the cash on him. And he's worried about some kind of bait and switch or perhaps being robbed at gunpoint by her pimp. Bob today pays the woman does not have any cash on him and pays the woman exactly what she's asking for for the services he wants from her no worry about a pimp robbing you at gunpoint or beating you up the money doesn't get transferred till he blows his lows (laughs) the the app monitors when you blow your load and if you don't blow your load the money does not transfer this will prevent the woman from sneaking out while you're in the bathroom or other scams that occur with prostitutes at casinos bob today knows this 
and knows that he can engage in prostitution services at the casino without fear of getting robbed. Why not go all the way? I agree. Yeah, Nevada Gaming does not allow any direct links to your bank at machines. So I guess they could make a modified system of this in Nevada that doesn't directly deposit and withdraw to the machines to and from your bank account. They could have this other stuff. Like, There's nothing against having a player's club card through your phone or the ability to spend points through your phone or, or even to buy to buy things at the coffee shop or whatever there. Uh, I, I think they could do even through your bank account. They just they just can't do depositing, withdrawing of, of money because of responsible gaming concerns. But the reason that IGT went forward with this anyway, even though their biggest market for this, Nevada, they can't do it, is because all the Indian casinos, they, they can do it. They make their own rules. And this promotional video was meant to be watched by casino executives who think, hmm, well, we want this expensive new system. So Bob today sits here and keeps gambling and is so into the gambling that he doesn't even care about hot chicks flirting with him in the casino. He'd rather lose money in the casino than get laid. I do wonder when, you know, since this whole thing is fictitious, the Bob Today, Bob Yesterday story. What 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 purpose did the woman serve in this video? I want, I want you guys to go watch this. And you can text me what you think of this. If you look up on YouTube, the IGT Advantage Player Experience, type that in. The IGT Advantage Player Experience. Watch the video and, and focus on the woman that appears in the second half. And you'll see what I'm talking about, how Bob Today is just really giving her the cold shoulder. And she, she's really kind of shown being interested in him, and he just he just doesn't bite. He's just focusing too much on the gambling. But maybe that's the message. Maybe that's that the even hot chicks can't distract you from – can't distract the customers from the gambling you want them to do. Because the truth is if, if Bob today goes up to the comp hotel room and spends the rest of the night banging that woman, he's not going to be gambling. So that's not what the casino wants. That's also the reason they chase prostitutes out of these casinos is because, number one, they want the players losing their money to the casino and not spending it on prostitutes. And also they don't want these people getting robbed. And one, having a bad experience there. Two, having to make a police report about the whole thing involving their property. And, and three, not having that money to gamble with. So they, they're like, look, the prostitutes are – they're basically conducting business on our business grounds and we're not allowing this. So – Get the hell out of here! They don't care so much about the prostitution itself. They're just like, no, you're, you're not. You're not going to take this customer's money on our property. That's that's why they don't want them there. And when they have those guards that make you show your room key to go up, a lot of that is really aimed at stopping prostitutes. It's not so much aiming at stopping people from getting up there who are going to rob people or, or sneak guns up like Stephen Paddock did. These guards are really there to stop prostitutes for the most part. And they get to know certain prostitutes. Like if a certain girl just keeps going up there over and over night after night, they they know why she's doing it. And that's that's why they, number one, make you show the card. And then if they suspect anything further, they can stop you and say, well, we want to check if this card is good. Because once, once you get a room key, that, that key could be good for years as far as how it looks, but it wouldn't be valid. So that's – why they do that, and that's why they usually post these guards at night. That's why you don't see these guards there at 3 in the afternoon, because not many people are ordering prostitutes at 3 in the afternoon. 
So if you're wondering why the casino only seems to care about who goes up the elevator at night, but not during the day, now you know. Because crime would occur during the day. Like, There's no reason why you wouldn't be robbed at three in the afternoon. All righty. Let's move to the next topic. But I, I don't... While all these things would make a casino experience better in some ways, I don't like the all the additional information they're going to be harvesting. And it would hurt advantage players, too. It would allow them to crunch numbers about advantage players much more easily. There is something that helps advantage players is that uh, casinos can't instantly crush, crunch numbers on their play as they're playing. They can, after the fact, do it, but they can't, as they're playing, figure out they're winning too much or whatever. The, once the casino can start doing this and, and knows every step you're taking within the casino, that's scary, even if you're not an advantage player. So I, I don't like this whole thing as a customer, even if you do get to avoid certain hassles there in certain lines and do everything faster. You don't have to carry cards around. There, yeah, there's some nice things about it, but a lot of times you're giving up privacy to get convenience. And that's something you must always consider in all facets of your life. Do I want to give up this amount of privacy to have this be more convenient? And sometimes the answer actually should be no. Okay, let's talk about Norman Chad and what he brought out on Twitter. He did something I, I never thought he would do, and that is he's criticizing the World Series of Poker. Not the whole World Series of Poker, but a certain aspect of the World Series of Poker that he does not like. And I want to discuss it because I have an opinion on this whole matter. Here's what Norman Chad, longtime color commentator of the World Series of Poker, posted on October 19th. Tournament poker is becoming a joke. Rebuys, re-entries, unlimited re-entries, late, late registration, quantum this and quantum that. At the World Series of Poker main event, how about you just pay $1.3 million and we'll slip you into the final table, plus you get a Rio Carnival World Buffet comp. Now, of course, the last part, he's just joking, but he's saying, like, how far does this go? Since since there's so many different rebuys, re-entries, and, and day two buy-ins, and all this other crap, why not just let people buy into the main event final table for over a million bucks? <laughs> so then he goes on to say, I mean, you folks can spend weeks arguing about a big blind ante and weeks on markup shaming, but where are all the high-minded... Po- High-minded poker bigwigs leaning out the window and shouting, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore when it comes to unlimited re-entry at WSOP bracelet events. He wrote more than this, by the way, but stopping for a second here. Why do you think he's talking about this now? He's talking about a World Series of Poker Europe event that just took place where there were a lot of re-entry events and some of them were unlimited unlimited re-entries and that got him really mad about that. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I want you to get up right now. That's what 
Norman Chad is saying. He writes, WSOP Europe. Every single event is re-entry, and most of them are unlimited re-entry. These are WSOP bracelet events. This is not poker. This is open up your wallet and try to build a big stack, and if you bust, open up your wallet and do it again and again and again. All 15 events are re-entry, and 11 of them are unlimited re-entry. He's talking about the uh, Razadov event. He said, somebody's hijacked the World Series of Poker in broad daylight. He's right. There's some problems with these re-entry and re-buy and late-entry events that are, it's getting worse and worse, and it's not really being discussed very much, and it should be. And it's not good for poker. And there's a lot of bad things about it, and it probably will lead to poker's, I shouldn't say demise, but decline. First of all, this is very recreational player unfriendly. It greatly decreases the chances that recreational players are going to make it deep, since most of the rebuys are done with the pros who have deep bankrolls. And then what happens is that with every rebuy or reentry by poker pros who bust, this makes the percentage of pros in the field much higher, if you think about it. Take each entry and classify either pro or recreational. If they allow re-entries, you end up with a lot more of those entries coming from pros. Second, and related, this makes the events a lot tougher in general because you no longer have a lot of good or great players that are falling out of the field early just because they ran bad or maybe they made an early mistake. Now they get to just keep rebuying and rebuying and rebuying until they finally catch fire, and then once they have a nice stack, they can start crushing everyone. So no more seeing Phil Ivy bust early and go, go, glad I'm not going to deal with him. Negreanu bust early, glad I don't have to deal with him. Uh, insert the name of some other good player that you'd rather not face, bust early. I'm glad I don't have to deal with him. Nope. Yes, you do. They can rebuy. They keep coming back and back and back and back until they finally get a stack going. And even if they end up losing money on the whole thing, if they put so many buy-ins into it that even if they cash, they still lose a good deal of money. Still, you're dealing with these guys if you run it deep where normally you wouldn't. Normally there could be a bad recreational player in their place making it deep. But the worst part is that this perverts the entire concept of tournaments. If we think about what's the difference between tournaments and cash games, aside from the payout structure, a very big difference in the strategy of tournaments versus the strategy of cash games is that with cash games, you can always go back into your wallet and rebuy if you bust. There's no stack preservation in cash games. You never have to worry about, do I go all in because I, I'm worried that if I lose this, it's going to bust me. No, you just, you're just focused on each hand and not about the implications of whether you can play further hands after that. That doesn't enter your mind. Where it, with tournaments, that's an additional skill you have to have in order to do well. You have to have stack preservation skills. And there is a penalty for risking 
too much too early. And this also gives way to different play styles. Some people then will try to take advantage of that and play very aggressively early with the belief that if they bust, they bust, and no big deal. But this way they're going to be aggressive and try to build the stack early, knowing that they, a lot of times they'll bust, while others will be more conservative and say, hey, I, I want to survive because there's a big disadvantage to throwing too many chips in early in marginal spots when if I lose, then I, I either will be crippled and won't have enough chips to continue really being a force at the table or I'll be out completely. So that's all, that's all taken away when there's we're mostly taken away when there's re-entry and rebuy elements to the tournament. And that's that's a big difference. That really changes what these tournaments are all about. Now, yes, you still have that at the at the end of tournaments, but I'll tell you in the later stages of tournaments, the blinds are big enough to where there isn't a whole lot of post post flop play anyway. There's some, but there's not as much. Uh, in later stages of the tournament, there's not as many tight folds you can make. Unless it's like huge stack against huge stack. So what this really does, by allowing all these re-entries and late entries and all that, it just it really allows people to buy their way into having a nice stack. If you're a decent player and you're willing to put the money into it, yeah, you can pretty much guarantee yourself at some point you'll get a big stack by just repeatedly buying if it's unlimited reentry. And you may say, well, that, that's good, though. These people contribute to the prize pool. Well, yes, and that, that brings me to the next point. If your purpose is to min cash, then yes, this helps you. It is easier to min cash in reentry events because it artificially pumps up the field size. Every time somebody busts and rebuys, that adds an entry, and then that makes the money come sooner. Similarly, it's easier to min cash in a big field event than a small field event. Because in a big field event, you can just kind of survive without really getting that great of cards and just kind of cruise into the money. Whereas at a smaller field event, you have to win in a lot of hands to make the final 10%. I've personally found it much tougher at the like 120 field events, like the 10K events, where it's like, as I said, like 120 players, you really have to win a lot of hands at the right times to make that final 10%. Whereas if the field is uh, 6,000 players, I can barely win any decent sized pots and just kind of cruise to the money as long as nothing bad happens. I'm not saying I'm just trying to min cash, but I'm saying uh, even not trying to aim for the min cash, if I'm just kind of not running that well, but not running terrible, I can kind of just coast into a min cash a lot of times. I can get to min-cashers and go, wow, I didn't really win many hands here, but here I am at the, the min-cash. You can't do that if the field's small. And the smaller the field gets, the better you have to do to win. Let's take it all the way to extreme. Uh, if you're playing a two-person tournament, a two-person sit-and-go, you have to do very well to win because you're either going to win or lose, the first or second. So there you have to really win a lot of hands to win it. So the bigger the field gets, the less important it is to win a lot of hands to manage to cash it all. So yes, by adding entries, then it does become easier to min-cash. But it also becomes harder to run deep for two reasons. First of all, it's just harder to run deep because there's now more chips in the event. There's more entries. In, ba in general, 
ignoring who's in the field, the bigger field events are very hard to run deep in because there's such a long distance between the min cash and the final table, or even close to the final table. That's why when I was one of the top stacks at the end of day one of the Big 50, I thought, oh, cool, but I wasn't like super excited because I knew I was like so far away from running super deep because there's 28,000 entries. And yeah, I, I got 666 and cashed 3,000 on a $500 buy-in, but that wasn't super exciting. And I kind of thought something like that would happen. I thought, well, okay, I had a great first day, but I need so much more to, to get really deep. So this, having a bigger field, even to the same people buying over and over, that does make it easier to min cash, but harder to run deep. But then there's a second element which makes it harder to run deep in that the average skill of players making it deep goes way up when the good players can keep rebuying. When the good players aren't falling out, but will just keep rebuying until they get a stack that they can run with, that makes it a lot more likely that good players are going to make it to the end. Not just that these good players are still in, but that then they could start eating a lot of the bad players who would have otherwise survived. The more good players are at the table, the, the less of a chance that one of the wreck players will get through. Because his skill compared to everybody else at the table, there's such a huge gap. So even if you're not a wreck, even if you're a, a good player, you're going to find at these re-entry events that the field's going to be much tougher as you get deeper than if it was not a re-entry event. So if the goal is to min cash, it helps you. If the goal is to make any kind of real money, it's going to make it a lot tougher. So not only is this completely perverting the concept of tournaments, where there is the whole element of stack preservation and having to decide if you want to take early risks, now not only has that been taken out of the whole equation, but also it makes it much tougher to run very deep in these events, which sucks. However, venues love these events because they collect far more rake. With every rebuy, they get additional rake. And this allows known pros to get deep more often, and that attracts more interest to observers of the event, bringing more publicity to them. Isn't it more exciting to see if Phil Helmuth's going to win another bracelet rather than some guy you've never heard of? So they want the pros who have the deep pockets, who have the big names, to keep rebuying and maybe get deep and make, it, make the final table. That's what the venue wants. Now there's a much higher chance they will. And they're getting more rake. And a lot of these pros like it because a lot of them are traveling to play poker. And imagine traveling to somewhere far away, and then you sit down in the main event of that particular uh, tournament, and you bust two hours in. And you're like, I flew all this time to get over here, and I lasted for two hours. This sucks. So now the pros don't have to have that on their mind. They don't have to play and feel like, oh, I've got to make it worth my while to have come here. I can't take this risk right now. No, they can, they can just keep firing, 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 going, hey, as long as I'm willing to put the money into this, I no longer have to worry about the time factor because I can just keep rebuying. I don't have to worry about, it. oh, this sucks. I came all the way here and busted super fast. So a lot of pros like this who travel. But they need to get this under control. I'm not saying they shouldn't have any of these. I'm saying that this should be more of the exception than the rule. 
there should not be the situation where deep-pocketed pros can just buy titles and buy players of the year points. A lot of them are competing these days for player of the year points. And Eric Benzamokin asked me a, a, an interesting question the other day in text. He, he asked me, what is the point of this whole player of the year thing? Why is this so important? Are they getting big prizes for it? I said, no, not really. Then, then he's asking, why are they? Why are people so obsessed with player of the year? And I said, well, it's just kind of like a, a trophy to them. It's a, like an accomplishment. But yeah, I, I agree there's too much focus on it. But some people really are obsessed with player of the year. And if they have a lot of money, they are willing to throw a lot of money at player of the year by just entering, 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 re-entering, 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 because every time they cash, they get points. And that also perverts the whole player of the year title. Because you're just adding up points that they got from cashing rather than how many events they entered and how well did they do compared to that. So you can have players of the year who actually lost money, which is crazy. And it shouldn't be about who has the most money to keep buying in again and again and again. To who should it, That should not affect whether you have a better chance than someone else at winning the event. And that's what really bothers me. Tournaments are supposed to be the great equalizer. You all start with the same stack. You all start at the same time. There's a few hours of late registration, which have now has now been perverted to get all the way to late day two in, so, in some cases. But it used to be you have a few hours of late registration. Other than that, everybody starts with the same stack. You can't come in that late. You can't rebuy. If you're out, you're out. And whoever can survive to the end wins. And that's what tournaments were about. And if the great player next to you loses most of his chips in the first five minutes, you don't have to fear him anymore. Now he's the short stack that you can stomp on. Because no matter what he does, he can't crush you with a short stack. So when he goes all in, you got a reasonable hand, you just call him, you knock him out, that's it. You don't have to worry about him rebuying and coming back back in. That's that's a cash game thing. That shouldn't be a tournament thing. So what this allows is anyone who's willing to put enough money into it can just keep rebuying, rebuying, and pretty much give them a, a deep stack at every single event in the earlier stages. And that's not fair. It really should be who can play these the best on one buy-in, not who can just keep firing money at it to where they'll luck into finally a big stack. And it'll help player of the year be more pure as well. As you'll probably notice from my World Series of Poker schedules over the years, I don't play very many re-entry events. I will play single re-entry events like the 1500 PLO8, the 1500 Mixed Omaha. Those did have one re-entry, and I did use the re-entry if I needed. But, uh, and I think a single re-entry is fine. A single re-entry I think is reasonable. It's where if you just run awful, you get one more shot at it. But more than that, I think is stupid. And I'd be fine with just no re-entries. But you don't see me entering many events that have this unlimited re-entry thing, or even multiple re-entries. Occasionally I'll throw one in if it happens to fit with my schedule. 
That's the reason I played the Big 50. That's the reason I played the 888 event. But it's not something I would be putting on my schedule that I really want to play. It's something that I'm just playing because it's there and I'm there. But I really don't care for these very much. And Norman brings up a lot of great points. This isn't poker. This isn't... Well, it's poker, but it's not poker tournaments. And it's becoming less and less impressive when people win these bracelets if they're winning it in this fashion. Trader Risky, how do you feel about this? I agree. I mean, it's a completely different tournament. You have to play it differently. I mean, if you're at a table where three of them just have unlimited buy-ins and you can do, you know, one, maybe two, it's just a completely different game. Yeah, it is. You and the other people at the table, yeah, you're playing under totally different circumstances. And, and you winning versus one of them winning is, is different. Even if they happen to luck into it, if, they, if they're coming there willing to buy in up to 20 times and they happen to hit lightning on their second time, that still doesn't change anything because they, they were willing to go 20 times. They, they played in a style thinking that they will go up to 20 times and they just happened to go too. So, yes, if, if people enjoy these, have a few of them, but don't make it to where these become dominating these events. And that's what was bothering Norman Chad is that 11 out of the 15 at this last WSOP Europe event were re-entry with several of them being unlimited re-entry. And he finally spoke up. He finally said, this is BS. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't care if it irritates the World Series. I'm going to give my opinion. I think he felt he's been around so long they're not going to fire him over this or anything. So he he spoke up. Good. Before I end this segment, I want to talk about Norman Chad and my personal experiences with him. In 2005, I appeared on ESPN in a Limit Hold'em tournament where I made the final table. This was not scheduled to be on there, but due to some kind of conflict, they swapped some other event out and put this there. Since TV poker was, I wouldn't say it was new, but it had been it had been around maybe two years, and it was very, very much all the rage at that point. I didn't want to just be a guy who just kind of goes on there and plays the game as kind of boring. I said, yeah, I'm going to do wacky things at the table and be memorable. Uh, that was a mistake. I should have just focused on the poker. Not that, not that I played badly, but... I, I should have just focused on the poker. and It's, it's hard to concentrate on, all. Oh, I'm going to be entertaining here, I'm going to do entertaining things, and, and play good poker at the same time. So I, I ended up doing things that the table were just kind of more annoying than, 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 than really entertaining. And I, I regretted it as soon as I saw it on TV. Now, Norman Chad's job was to commentate on whatever he sees and make it entertaining for the viewer. So since I was acting up at the table, uh, I was the one he was commenting on. Everybody else was kind of just mundane there. So I was the one they were saying things about. And that was my fault. That was my fault for putting myself in that position. And so I didn't hate him for saying the things he did. I knew that was his job to say it, but still, I 
you know, how much could I love the guy when he was insulting me like that on, on TV? By the way, on future poker broadcasts, I never did that again. I just acted completely normal. It, it was funny because after that aired, some people were bashing me on the internet. And I think it was Matt Matros who played with me at the non-televised event I won a month later, also Limit Hold'em. And he actually posted in my defense and said, well, this must have just been a TV thing because I played with him at the at the 3K, which he won, and he just he was very polite and normal there. It was totally different than what I saw on TV. Anyway, I kind of understood the way Norman Chad talked about me there. But then a few years later, he appeared on a podcast and people were – whoever the host was was asking him about people who act like jerks at tournaments – and he said something like, uh, well, you know, people, they, some of them, they, they hadn't been on TV before. They hadn't uh, played poker on TV before. They don't really know how to act. But, uh, you know, sometimes people take it too far. Some of them, you know, there are just jerks on there. You have the Havad Khans, the Todd Wotellas, this person, that person. See, he named me as one of the people that uh, was a jerk at the table. This is like a few years later. I'm going, oh, that's kind of an asshole thing to say. Again, like. I was the one who gave him the opportunity to say that, but still, that that kind of further irritated me. So I, I, did, I didn't like Norman Chad very much at the time. In 2009, playing the main event, I came into day two with a short stack and then saw that my table had papers on it. And the papers said, proceed to a different table in a different part of the room, and I realized that I was going to be on the TV table. Why? Because one Phil Helmuth was there with me. And believe it or not, I was the secondary name at that point. I was actually a, a little bit of a bigger name in poker than I am now. So I was a big enough name in poker to not at all qualify by myself for a TV table. But as far as the day two tables on that particular day two, this was the best one they thought they had with... Helmuth being the main star and me being the distant secondary star. And then like seven nobodies. I was happy to get on there because you were able to sign sponsors like right on the spot there, which I did. And I got almost my whole buy-in back, which was good because I was very short-stacked. But I also thought, oh no, what's Norman Chad going to say about me? Is he going to like dredge up the thing that happened four years ago the last time I was on ESPN? Well, he didn't. They, they, they just ignored the fact that I had been on four years ago that Chad had bashed me. And I, I acted normal. You, you can go see it. You can look this up. You could type in Todd Wittellis, Phil Helmuth, 2009 main event. You'll find it. You can watch him busting me with a bad beat. But I acted normally, and I was treated normally by Norman Chad. So I thought, okay, well, at least that's good. But... Still, since then, uh, I just kind of had the impression that Norman Chad just didn't like me very much. Even though he didn't insult me on that 09 episode. I just figured it's because I didn't do anything to warrant it. So I just thought privately, if you asked Norman Chad, what do you think of Todd Wittellas? He'd say, oh, that guy's an asshole. That's, that's kind of what I thought he thought of me. And that was my opinion for, like, nine years. And, and when I'd see him around walking in the hallway, I almost kind of didn't even want him to notice me because I, I thought he just had disdain for me. I wasn't afraid of him or anything. I just thought that like, I just kind of felt uncomfortable seeing him. 
Well, day three of the main event, I, I have a pretty good stack. Not a great stack, but a pretty good stack to where I think I'm going to make it through the day and probably cash in the main event. So I was feeling good about that. And I was enjoying my table mates there. We, we were all having a good time there and uh, feeling mostly good that day. And who shows up at the table is Norman Chad. He turns out to be friends with the guy sitting directly to my right, who was some rich Georgia businessman. I don't know how he knew Norman Chad, but they were friends, and uh, so Norman came over to talk to him. So they, they talked for a few minutes. And then finally Norman noticed me. <laughs> and I, I think I said something. Like I said something in response to something they were saying. And then he looks down and he goes, oh, Oh, Todd, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I didn't recognize you right away, but, oh, oh, hey, how are you doing? Okay, well, this is weird. Is he, is he just being kind of friendly because it's kind of awkward? So then I forgot what I said back to that, but then right after that, he gets the entire table's attention and says, yeah, you know, for those of you that don't know, this this guy does a lot of great things for the poker community. There's a, there's a lot of bad elements in this community, and I wish there weren't, but there's a lot of bad guys in this game, and uh, and he calls it out. We we really need more more guys like him in poker. So you guys should appreciate this guy here for what he does. And I thought, wow. I had no idea that Norman Chad thought this highly of me. And he actually he actually got the table's attention to tell them about me, that they should appreciate me. And he, he wasn't being sarcastic or anything. Like he, was very, he was very sincere. And then I talked to him a little bit, and I told him that uh, I didn't hold anything against him for the stuff he had said about me on the TV. That it, I know it's just him doing his job. And he's, oh no, I'm sorry, I didn't want to offend you there. And I said, no, 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 it's, it's, you know, that's, that's fine. I was acting it up on purpose, and you had to say something about it, and that that was your job to do. So I no, no problem, and that was that. So since then, I felt a lot better of him. <laughs> so I, I had no idea he knew about this site and the, the stuff I do about calling out scams and poker, and that he that he. Really thought highly of the whole thing. So, great. That was my personal experiences with Norman Chad. And I definitely agree with him here. All right, final topic. Final topic. And then we shall be done for the night. On what is not a very long show. But you know what? They don't, all, they don't all have to be six-hour shows. And this is why I told that whole story about Katie Hill at the beginning, because otherwise the show would be really short. You guys don't want that. I know you guys like the longer shows. So I threw in the political topic. The Encore Poker Room had a little bit of an accident, and I'm not talking about the one at... The, the Las Vegas Encore. I'm talking about the Win Encore that just opened in June of 2019, a $2.4 billion property. It had a little bit of an accident, something that they didn't expect, especially of a, of a newer property. That's the last thing that people expected was going to happen. And it was something that Shock the players. You hear that sound? What does that sound like? 
Sounds like water rushing, doesn't it? That kind of sounds like a bus. There's no, there's no bus in the poker room. But there was water pouring down from the ceiling of the Encore in the poker room. Just tons of water <laughs> dumping down, and people couldn't believe it. There's a new hotel. $2.4 billion to build. And where did this water come from? I thought maybe this was because of rain, but it was not. The reason I thought this is because the last time water burst through the ceiling of a poker room was in, I think it was 2015, 15 or 16, at the World Series of Poker main event, there was a really, really brutal thunderstorm that came in. Someone took a picture of it from a plane. It actually looked like aliens were coming to destroy Las Vegas. It kind of had that look. It had that like Independence Day look. But it was it was raining down so hard on the Rio, it burst through the roof of the convention center and water started pouring through the ceiling. And they had to close some tables and they had to take an unscheduled break to get the a handle on this whole thing. So I didn't I didn't expect there to be rain in the Rio, but there was. Well, this happened an encore, but not because of a torrential rainstorm. This is because of a burst pipe that was passing through the ceiling. And that caused an internal rainstorm. So what they did is they evacuated everyone from the room and said every all the games are immediately closed. I don't know what they did about the people who had chips on the table. I guess they took their chips with them and maybe took the cashier. I don't know. But they they closed all the tables. And they evaluated what was happening. There were 72 tables running there. So they had to close all of them. And after a few hours, they were able to stop it. And 62 of the 72 tables were able to run again. But 10 of them were damaged so badly from the water that they were going to have to be replaced and were not usable for poker anymore. Here's an actual video of it. that I just played you a water sound effect before. But here's, here's, a, here's an actual video of it occurring. Obviously, this is a lot better being watching visually, but you can hear the water rushing down. And you can hear kind of a commotion in the background. And what I'm seeing is water just rushing down and, and smacking against the poker table. It's it's kind of like a mini waterfall, not like like super like not like a super heavy waterfall gushing down, but kind of like a mini trickly type waterfall. You know, I take it back. It's more than a trickle. It's kind of between like a, a super heavy gushy waterfall and a trickly waterfall. Yeah, so that's that's the video. A player there named Nicole Strait. That's a funny name, Nicole Strait, playing poker. She said, all of a sudden, like it's raining from the ceiling. I was like, I better get my chips because who knows, chips are cash. That was my thought, too. I thought she was going to make some joke about it. It's raining men. 
Uh, a few apparently ran off without even taking their chips with them. <laughs> I would have thought just like this Nicole straight, like I'm not leaving here without my chips. I would have grabbed my chips and run out. But uh, some just were so concerned about the water. Maybe they were afraid the roof was going to cave in. They just darted out of there. And then she said that, uh, I said, wait, this is actually water falling down here. This is not a water feature. (laughs) She said that because uh, some idiots in the casino, she was telling about this thought that maybe this was on purpose, like there's some water feature in the casino. She said, no, no, this is water breaking through the ceiling. I can't believe some idiots said that. They really thought that it was a water feature for the water to rush through the ceiling and crash down on the poker table. On the Twitter for Boston Harbor, at 6.20 p.m. on October 18th, they wrote, Unfortunately, tonight, 7 p.m. tournament will be canceled due to flooding. Sorry for inconvenience. This isn't really flooding. It's more just water coming from the ceiling. 7.12 p.m. is it's still hopeful to reopen the poker room at 7.30. There's a huge crew working on it as fast as they can. 7.35, the poker room is back open. Thank you for your patience. 12.50 a.m., five hours later, the poker room will be worked on throughout the night. We're running with 62 available tables for the time being. Huge thank you for the players, for your patience, and for this water damage. Uh, the 11 a.m. 30K tournament will run as normal. So good for them getting this going quickly again, but what, what a mess. If you remember, there was also uh, an issue in... Uh, in 2018, in the Brasilia room at the World Series of Poker, in addition to the one I just talked about that I had seen. Uh, so why did this happen in a new casino? Why should they be having pipe bursts already? Well, it's actually not as surprising as you would think. With anything new... A lot of times there is a higher chance of something going wrong than something that's been working okay for a while. This includes new cars. This includes uh, new houses or any other kind of new construction. That the reason this is a higher chance is because everything is built without being tested that well. Or some mistakes may not come out immediately. And after after everything runs a while, is used a while, the problems will expose themselves and be fixed. So a property that's been around, say, for two years, by then most issues will have presented themselves that were related to the construction and taken care of by then. But in the first months, these things can happen, and that's when they have to be taken care of. Again, just like a new car, you'll have some problems that will come out because the car hasn't been driven yet. And it's not known if certain problems might occur. So the most stable of anything that's built is the most stable time is when it's kind of young, but not brand new. That's the time you're most likely to have the fewest problems. It is a little embarrassing that something $2.4 million would have a plumbing issue like this that would cost uh, cause a uh, pipe burst that would go through the ceiling. But on the other hand, with such a large place, uh, just mistakes are bound to happen. It's hard to do everything perfectly. It is still a bit of an embarrassment, though. 
The Encore Boston Harbor Poker Room is otherwise very well regarded. China Maniac, who's been a co-host of this show before, has told me that he plays there a lot and that he really enjoys it, that it's a very nice room, and that people really like it. This is the only casino in the Boston area. There was this very valuable license that Wynn got partially because Caesars bailed out because they stupidly partnered with a Russian mobster, not realizing they were partnering with a Russian mobster, when they were building the Cromwell in Las Vegas. And then they dropped out of the bidding and the application process for that one license in Boston, knowing that there's no point because they would get rejected for having done business with the mobster. <laughs> so Wynn ended up getting it, and it's called Encore the second encore that exists, the other being in Vegas. And of course, Steve Wynn is no longer part of Wynn anymore. But that property is very well-liked, even though it's had some issues. Yeah, this issue, it had those issues with those uh, machines that were cashing tickets that I covered on a different episode. But as I said, otherwise, it's a pretty well-liked place. I saw it when I was in Boston in August. I saw it, but I was only in Boston for one night. Boston was kind of like a jumping-off point to do the rest of our trip. We were doing a one-way trip from Boston to Nova Scotia. And we just didn't uh, have time to stay in Boston. And also, I'm the, I'm the only person in the family who likes casinos, so... Usually, if there's going to be casino stuff involved, I have to do it myself. It's uh, That's the thing that I, I do when nobody else is there or sometimes if everybody else is sleeping. Well, that's it. I'm going to take a look at the chat room. I'll take a look at the texts. Yeah, someone texted me, you just got twice as loud. Yeah, I know. I see. Well, I don't know, but I believe you. It's something with Skype that it it just auto adjusts the whole volume, and I'm not seeing it on my end. Like it doesn't show it. I know I know it's happening, but I don't see it when it happens. If I saw the volume jump, then I could change something. I'll turn myself down a little bit. That's too much. Let me see. Uh, whatever. The show's about to end. It doesn't really matter. But yeah, I apologize if you have to keep changing your volume back and forth. And trust me, it bothers me when I go back and look at the show and see that the volume is much higher for some parts than others. And I, I will try to find a solution to this. I know Skype's causing it, but that's all I know. The problem is that I don't see specifically when it's happening. And even if I knew, it's kind of hard to adjust on the fly while I'm doing the show. So I, maybe there's something I can change. I, I just, I'm, I'm not finding it. But I'll have to keep looking. But thank you for informing me. I'm not insulted when you inform me of these things. I mean, I know I know what's happening. And I, I will attempt as much as I can to fix it. In the chat room, do we have anything? No. Well, the chat room is pretty quiet tonight. I will do the next show probably a week from now. Probably on Friday again. That's my guess. So we're probably looking at Friday, November 1st. 
So I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank Trader Ruski for joining me again. Thank you, Draft. Sorry about the technical difficulties. No, no problem. But I, I'm, I'm more concerned about my own technical difficulties with the sound. I, I'm a big sound guy. Like I, I really don't like when there's sound issues with this show. It sound issues bother me on other shows. I, I like I'll hear of a show where the the subject interests me, and then I'll turn it on, and the sound quality sucks, and it's hard to hear people, and or if there's volume issues, and I'll be watching TV and the volume issue. Like a, certain TV shows just do a very bad job with volume where the music in the background is too loud or uh, just things are jumping all over the place and you you're constantly adjusting the volume up and down to where sometimes you can't hear the dialogue and sometimes if you raise the volume to hear the dialogue then some action scene comes on and it's too loud like I, i i get irritated when shows do this and i get irritated with my own show when i have volume issues and i i know it sucks that you have to turn the volume up and down. But at least I think this doesn't happen constantly. I think it's just a few times per show. It goes from loud to soft, loud to soft, and you got to adjust it. So apologies for that. And I'm aware of it. And maybe I'll do some experiments to figure out why it's happening or what, what exactly triggers it, and if there's anything I can do to avoid it. And I don't know. So it's something with Skype. They, they always screw up something with Skype. And I know, I know I always complain about it, but it's something worthy of complaint. I wanted, I, since we got a little extra time here, because the show's done, and it's only been about a four-hour show, a little bit longer. But it's, it's, it's shorter than usual. I want to just do a, a mini editorial about something, which I, I probably have talked about before in our seven-and-a-half-year existence, but... It came up again. There was an interesting video, nothing to do with poker or gambling, but you may want to take a look anyway. It was a 38-minute video. And it was of some guy who does travel videos. I don't really know him, but he has like 1.2 million followers or subscribers on YouTube, so he must be somewhat known. And it was about a trip to Easter Island he took, which went very wrong Basically because a very aggressive asshole security guard there at one of the sites they went to go look at got really, really obnoxious and had like a a power trip with the guy's girlfriend and then it just escalated from there. I I advise you, if if you have any interest in this, to go – you can look it up on YouTube. It's called My Worst Travel Experience Easter Island. Again, nothing to do with poker or gambling or anyone in poker, but – I found it was interesting. I watched it last night. And I actually found in the whole story that I felt both parties did some things wrong. Definitely that everything the guy said I thought was true. The host of the show, I think he, the security guard was a complete asshole. And the all the people at Easter Island there didn't handle the thing well. But this guy mishandled some things too. You can see there's a thread about it on Poker Fraudler and the Flying Stupidity Forum. Some people trolling me in the thread, but aside from that, there's a, a thread there. But someone brought up a point, I, I think just to troll me. It's, it's a hockey guy who's been around forever on the site, and he listens to the show too. He brought up something which has been brought up to criticize me before, and that is getting people fired. When you have some incident with someone 
at a business and uh, someone mistreats you. And whether it's unethical to get someone fired. And he was making the point that it is because the person you're getting fired has to pay their rent and they will suffer from a lot of hardships in life if they get fired and don't have a job anymore. So how dare I attempt to make that happen? And that that makes me a a cold-hearted asshole to do. Here's my response to that. When you complain about employees who are really bad, I don't just mean ones that make some small mistake or aren't as polite as you'd like or something minor that you wish was better but isn't terrible. But when someone is really, really rude, really, really confrontational, really, really nasty or just absolutely refusing to do their job or or just amazingly incompetent or they they use their job to passive-aggressively screw with you in some way. Uh, There is no harm, and there's nothing morally wrong with you informing their boss what happened. There's nothing wrong with telling a true and correct version of what occurred there. So the person who's in charge of them there, the person who is... uh, either supervising them or signing their paycheck, knows what type of job they are doing. You you as the customer don't have the power to fire anybody. You can only fire someone that you hire or that you're in charge of managing. But if you're a customer, you cannot fire anybody. So these people I quote got fired, I couldn't fire them. I gave information to their boss who, based upon the true information I gave to their boss, fired them. Now, if you lie to their boss or exaggerate, then that's immoral because you're not telling the truth about the situation and it can result in someone being fired when they don't deserve it. But if you tell the exact truth about what really happened and the boss determines, you know what, I'm firing them, then the boss, that's up to them. You're, you're just giving the boss information they need about the way their employees behaving on the job. And it's actually something that business owners and managers really appreciate to hear because they can't see everything. They often don't know what's going on. And a lot of times when you complain, you're not the first one. A lot of times a problem employee you're complaining about, they've gotten 10 other complaints. And if they fire them, you're the, you're just the straw that broke the camel's back. I told you guys about the Smashburger manager I got fired, the night manager. And there I was totally the straw that broke the camel's back where the – General manager told me he was brought in from another location specifically to deal with the major problems they had at that location at night. That's why they transferred him to that location to deal with it. And he knew the problem was this woman who was the night manager, but they didn't quite have enough to fire her yet because they just didn't have enough to defend a lawsuit for wrongful termination. So then I came in. I told a true story about what occurred to me there, which I won't repeat now. You can go back and find that show called The Hash and the Smash from the summer if you want to hear that story. But I was willing to write it up for them. He said, will you write this up for me? I said, sure. I wrote up the exact truth about what happened, and that was enough to finally fire her, which they had been waiting to do for a long time. They just were uncomfortable about doing it because they didn't quite have enough concrete information that they could defend in court if she were to sue them. Now they did, thanks to me. Didn't lie about her, didn't exaggerate. I just 
told the truth about what happened to me there and what I witnessed happening to others there. And they chose to fire her, and that was the right decision. That Smashburg was absolutely awful at night because of her. And it had been for a long time. And it was affecting customers, affecting all the World Series of Poker players who went to go eat there at night. When you report an employee who is especially bad, you help the business. You help the owner. You help the management. You help the customers in the future who no longer will have to deal with this crappy employee. Now, you may say, well, still, you're getting someone fired. You're taking food off their plate. But when someone gets fired, the position is not eliminated. Someone has that job. So what happens is when someone gets fired, then the position becomes open. And then someone else who's currently unemployed gets that job. Someone else who probably deserves the job a lot more than the one who's doing a horrible job or or is nasty to customers. That person is replaced with someone much better and much more deserving of that position and that money. And then hopefully the person who gets fired will learn from the experience and the next job they get, they won't act this way. When you don't report something, then you're allowing them to get away with it. Then you're perpetuating this cycle where it's okay to mistreat the customer because they keep getting away with it. When you don't report them, then the better employees remain on the unemployment line and the crappy employees hold the jobs that they shouldn't have anymore. So as long as you're reporting the truth and as long as you're not going to report something totally stupid and trivial, then you're doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. You're doing the moral thing, not the amoral thing. But if you still don't agree with me, think about it this way. Let's say you own a business and you're looking to hire someone for some kind of customer service position. So a guy named John comes in. And during the interview, John tells you, you know, I just want to let you know something. I have a really short temper, and if a customer pisses me off, I'm going to get in his face and be just really, really confrontational with him. And yeah, I drink a lot at night, so I may come in sometimes during the day kind of hungover, and I may not want to do much work, and I may try to avoid anything that's difficult. And so that may happen too. So I just want to let you know all that. But, you know, I have a family, and i got to support them, so if you could hire me, that'd be great. Would you hire them? Would you hire John in that case? You would not hire John. You would say, thank you, John, for coming in. We'll let you know, and you'd never call him again. Why? Because John would be telling you up front, I'm going to mistreat customers. I'm not going to do a good job at work. So you'd say, why would I hire this guy? Nobody would hire this guy with that kind of story. So why is it any better if John doesn't tell you these things and pretends that he is going to be a good employee and pretends that he's going to treat customers well during the interview? But then the reality is, He's a piece of shit and treats everyone badly and doesn't do his job right. Why is that any better for him to hide it from you and get the job than for you not to give it to him in the first place? Because you know he'll be that way. So just because he happens to get the job by acting like he's something he's not or hiding the problems that he really has, that that shouldn't magically keep him in that position. Just because someone has a job doesn't mean they can't lose it if they abuse their position. So just like you wouldn't hire someone who were to come in and sell you that they're going to abuse the position, if someone's currently at the job and abusing the position, they also shouldn't be there anymore. Just because they worked there yesterday doesn't mean they have to be there today. But some people really have a thing about if you've got someone fired, you've done an awful thing. You've hurt someone. You've taken away someone's ability to support themselves. 
but there's only a finite number of jobs out there, and there's always people looking to take a job once it opens, even in a good job market. So never feel guilty about getting bad employees fired, especially if they are really, really nasty to you or confrontational with you or passive-aggressively try to screw with you through their position at work. And it's very simple. When dealing with an employee there, if you think you're not being treated right, take a moment and ask yourself, if his boss were standing here right now, would his boss approve of this behavior? If the owner of this business were standing there right now, would he be happy with the way you as a customer are being treated? If the answer is yes, then don't complain. Or maybe just don't come back. But if the answer is no, if the answer is if the owner could see this, he'd be pissed. If his boss could see this, he'd be pissed. Then definitely tell them. Why, why hide it from the person who's managing them? Why hide it from the owner who's signing their check? Why? Why would you try to protect this person when they're mistreating you like this? Why would you not want whoever's in charge of them to find out? Why, why would you be trying to screw the business owner like this where they don't get to know that a person like this is working for them? I'm not saying you have to be the watchdog for all their employees. I'm saying if you have an experience there, you should never feel bad about reporting it. Now, if you, just, if you just don't want to report it and say it's not your business, you don't feel like doing it, that's fine. You don't have to. You're not a bad person for not doing it, but I'm just saying for the person who does do it and chooses to say something, totally fine. As long as you're truthful, it's totally fine. And in fact, you're doing a good thing. And in fact, you're doing a good thing for future customers too. So that's just something I wanted to mention because the subject came up. And watch that video. It's kind of interesting, especially if you travel. If you travel to third world countries, it's an interesting video. Even if you don't travel to third world countries, it's interesting. You can kind of think about, like, what would I do if I was in this guy's shoes? And a lot of times when I watch videos of people on YouTube complaining about the way they were treated in some way, Part of the fun for me is to think about if I was there, how would I act? If I were there, what would I have done? And do I think the guy who's presenting himself as the victim may have had a hand in either causing it or making things worse? Like I'll sometimes think, how would I have done this differently to have the result be better? So that's, that's why I, I like watching these things sometimes. A lot of times I end up watching it thinking like, you know what? Everybody kind of sucks in this video. Like sometimes one person will suck more than the other, but a lot of times like the guy complaining about, oh, this is so awful. I'll go, you know what? I, I see your point. I, I see how you were mistreated, but you didn't handle it well either. All right. That is it. That is all for tonight. Thank you for listening. Probably the last show for October. We'll come back in November. And... Hopefully we'll have a new list of things to talk about that holds your interest. You know, I was hoping that I'd be following the Dodgers during this World Series. I, I really don't have as much motivation to watch the World Series when the Dodgers make the playoffs and then don't make it there especially when they're expected to make the playoff make the world series and don't if they're like if they like squeak into the playoffs and lose then 
that's okay. But the way they lost this year to have, on Game 5, just throw away a lead that had they not thrown away, they would have gone on instead of the Nationals, and then have the Nationals be the ones in the playoffs. It's kind of frustrating. But I'll tell you, I'm rooting for the Nationals. Uh, you got to give them credit. They seized upon the opportunity the Dodgers gave them and beat the Dodgers, which didn't people didn't expect they could do. They crushed St. Louis four games to nothing. Just crushed them so bad. And then took both in Houston. So yeah, yeah, they didn't look good today, but they're still in good shape. Still up two to one. Still have two more games at home. Still just have to win two of the next four games to win the whole thing. It'll be their first title since they became the Washington Nationals. So I hope they take screw Houston. Houston got theirs two years ago against the Dodgers. And of course, we've got the NBA going. We have NFL going. A good time for sports fans. A lot of different major sports going right now. So I'll be back next week, as I said, as I manage to be every week. Thank you, Eric Benzamokin, for another splash pot. Thank you, Mr. Tickle, for that money. And for those of you that gave money to the free roll that haven't seen it yet, it'll be probably next week. I'm holding it. Don't worry. It'll be there. Good night. Thank you, Trader Ruski. Shalom. <laughs>